one and all, my name's Ian Loring, welcome to Cinerama, I hope you are well. Right then, uh, after last week's um, uh, br- sh- uh, brief show, uh, we are back with uh, a full-on proper one. So then, coming up this week, reviews including J.J. Uh, Abrams's reinvention of the Star Trek franchise with the film simply called Star Trek, uh, I... Do a catch-up review of X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, is it as meh as everyone seems to think? Uh, well, you'll get my opinion shortly. Uh, movie news, trailer talk, what I watched, and the next part of the Hitchcock Marathon, taking a look at Rope. Uh, for the Star Trek review, I will be joined once again by Mike and Paul from Chinstroker vs. Punter, who have uh, very kindly agreed to... Uh, Join me. I know they're both uh, massive Star Trek fans, so we shall see what they have to say. Um, if you're not listening to Chinstroker versus Punter, why aren't you? Um, go check them out. You can find them on iTunes easily enough. Um, also, I would just like to say, uh, Mike from Chinstroker gave me some good news this morning as I record on Saturday. Uh, the Hollywood Saloon is back. Um, for those of you who don't know, Hollywood Saloon. Uh, is one of the premier film podcasts on the net. Um, they don't come out like every week. They don't really have any kind of schedule. But when they do come out, it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a very meaty show with an awful lot of good stuff to it. And uh, after a six-month... Well, actually, it's been like a year since they put out their last show. But um, they haven't even spoken... They hadn't even spoken for six months prior to recording. Um, they are back, and I, for one, am very pleased. So uh, head on over to hollywoodsaloon.com, or again, find them on iTunes. Um, absolutely fantastic podcast, and uh, I wish I had the uh, energy to uh, get into the production of the show as much as they do, because uh, they really, really work it. Um Okay, feedback is more than welcome. Please email cineramapodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring. You can vote on Podcast Alley. Uh, reviews on iTunes always, always muchly appreciated. Um, and you can read me at the rattle at therattle.co.uk. But let's get straight into it, shall we? JJ um, Abrams, uh, the TV wonder kid is uh, back, and this time with his most dodgy proposition yet. Uh, Let's have a look at how he fares with Star Trek. I couldn't believe it when the bartender told me who you are. Why are you talking to me, man? Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives. Including yours. I dare you to do better. Enlist in Starfleet. You will experience fear. Fear in the face of certain death. Pull your chute! We received a distress call. I've been waiting for this day my whole life. This day of reckoning. We've got no captain and no first officer to replace him. Yeah, we do. 
Okay, so lead the review of the week, as I'm sure you'll know, is Star Trek. And as I said at the top of the show, joining me for uh, this part of the show is uh, Mike and Paul from Chinstroker vs. Punter. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Hello there. Hello! I'm looking forward to getting my geek on this evening. We're reviewing Star Trek. Star Trek, yes, that's right. Damn, man, I've been watching Star Wars all fucking day. (laughs) You you can blag it, man, you can blag it. What so, a rookie uh, mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we should just... Uh, we should start, say at the start that, uh, amazingly, Paul has not actually seen Star Trek yet. I haven't, no. He resisted a cam. How impressive is that? Uh, was, it, was it just haven't had enough time or fear or what? Just... Uh, well, to be honest, um, as it's... Uh, I'm not as excited about... This film was I would be a proper Star Trek film. Ooh, um, contentious. So there isn't any great draw. I mean, I'm not a big cinema fan anyway. I'm a film fan. I'm not a particular yeah. fan of the cinema. So you want the Blu-ray, don't you? Um, basically, yeah. But I mean, I'll probably go and see it uh, next week in the afternoon when it's a bit quieter, maybe, and a bit cheaper. Don't like, oh, don't, like, don't like the crowds. No, I'm, no. I'm quite tall, and if I don't get a decent aisle seat, then the whole film's just an uncomfortable experience for me, no matter what cinema I'm in. Okay, no, no, that's, that's fair enough. Um, so, yeah, uh, what we're planning on doing, uh, well, what I'm planning on doing, I haven't actually with uh, Paul or Mike yet, but um, uh, similar structure to the Watchmen review, just like non-spoilery for a bit, and then really kind of crack into it, because I'm sure... By the time this is up, most people that are interested probably have seen the film. Um, so, yes, um, where to start, really, I suppose? Uh, maybe the, the the cast and the, the synopsis, as I usually do. So, um, Star Trek stars, uh, Chris Pine, um, Zachary Quinto, Anton uh, Simon Pegg. Ben Cross, Bruce Greenwood, uh, Zoe Saldana, loads of fucking people, um, and is a reboot reboot of the Star Trek series, which basically sees uh, a reimagining of uh, the early days of Kirk, played by Chris Pine, and Spock, played by Zachary Quinto, who uh, have to battle a uh, a mysterious Romulan force uh, headed by Nero, played by Eric Banner. And uh, I, I suppose saying more than that is probably getting a little bit spoilery. What, what do you think, Mike? Um, there's, a, there's a central conceit to this film, uh, both plot-wise and where it fits in and how it fits into the established Star Trek universe in all of its incarnations up until this point. Uh, I think you know the plot device I'm driving at here. And um, I think to get mm-hmm. into that element of the storyline, which is something that is very important to talk about in a discussion of this film is perhaps getting into spoiler territory yeah I'd agree with that okay fair uh, well fair enough um before we start then I think maybe I should just say that um uh, our positions on Trek so uh I, I suppose Paul you, you um saying that it, it's not real Trek or 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 well, no, I can't uh, really say that because I haven't seen it yet. And from what Mike said, there is quite a lot of sort of continuity porn in there for Star Trek fans um, to pick up on. 
But, Even though, uh, apparently there are problems with the Kobayashi Maru training thing, which... Uh, I've heard that uh, from the people who think that are, in fact, incorrect. Really? And, yes. And um, really, really fucking sad. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Picking apart a, a fictional fucking exercise from a fictional TV show. Yes, but Paul, I, you're, I, you're, you're I, I, speaking to somebody who knows the name of the planet that's in a deleted scene in this film. Yeah, so... Uh, I, you're tarnishing, tarnishing me with that brush as well. Well, that's fair enough. Consider yourself tarnished, then, you <laughs> big fucking geek. And, it, and it's raw repente, in case you're wondering. I know it's raw repente. <laughs> you fucking mention it every other fucking week as if it's like a really big, clever fact, you know. So what, why did this seem to you to not be real Star Trek, then? What do you mean by that? I, for, what, all I can go by is the little the, the snippets I've seen and the, the trailers just didn't feel like a Star Trek film. I mean, the... the, the the director and producers have even been quoted as saying that they um, tried as hard as they could to make the visual style as un-Star Trek as possible. They wanted the space battles to look less like uh, like naval battles, um, and they wanted the ships. More like dog fights. They wanted the ships within Star Trek to uh, engage in more Star Wars-like space battles than to appear like big lumbering boats of the olden days so when you say that something is or isn't Star Trek what is Star Trek what makes oh, it Star Trek I don't Trek? think we've got the time to get into that sort of thing I, I, I would just say um, for those who, who haven't heard it yet um, the Chin Stroker versus Punter episode on Star Trek which was re- released probably about a month ago yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah um, it is absolutely brilliant listening um, it, it, it really I'm not just saying it because these guys are here um, I, I I thoroughly thoroughly recommend it. And um, coming from a completely non Star Trek fan point of view, um, it made me want to watch the films. So I'll, I'll say that much. But um, okay, so Mike, I mean, so you're pretty damn into Star Trek, then, yes? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with it. I mean, I, I watched it when. I mean, I'm I'm from the Star Wars generation. I was four when Star Wars came out, and Star Trek was on the TV around that time, like in the evenings on BBC. And at that age, I was like, oh, it's got Star in the title, it's got spaceships. I just watched it because it was like Star Wars. Okay. And, um, and then I sort of I followed the, the movies and uh, watched The Next Generation. Kind of faded out of it a little bit when I was at university, as you do. You've got better things to do, quite frankly. And <laughs> then um, and a, lot, a lot of the later Star Trek, I don't really, I never really watched that much, like Enterprise and Voyager. I kind of drifted away from it into you know, other things. But I'm pretty steeped in the universe and, and the continuity of it. And I've got my own ideas about what... Because I've heard this thing banded around a lot since uh, Thursday night when the previews hit for this film about people arguing about whether it is actually Star Trek or not, um, both from a continuity point of view and from a, a tonal point of view. And the, the impression that I've got is that everybody's got their own view. All Star Trek fans have got their own view of what makes something Star Trek-like. And I think that differs beyond as Paul would say it's it's in the eye of the beholder the, well, the, the, the one thing I always agreed with from the point of view of why do you like Star Trek is the old it's people you like doing things you want to be doing Yeah. Um, I don't really get that from any of this cast in fact this cast struck me just visually as being a sort of uh, fucking young good looking uh, above anything else mm. 
sort of cast. It's sort of a Star Trek for the Hannah Montana generation. But to, but, but to, to sort of um, like reel myself back in here a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've grown up with Star Trek. <coughs> um, I, I really like it. I'm aware of its shortcomings, and I went into this when I heard about the reboot. I thought, uh, although I would question whether it is actually a reboot or not, but I think we'll probably get onto that in the spoiler zone. Um, I went into this with a lot of trepidation and fear and was just very concerned that this could kill Star Trek. But at the same time, I figured uh, Star Trek has been dying on its arse for the last 10 years or so, both creatively and commercially. Yeah, Scott Bakula killed Star Trek. So I I knew that something drastic needed to be done. This felt like this could be that drastic sort of act of resuscitation it needed but conversely if they fucked it up it could end up it could have ended up being Superman Returns that was my feelings before going in that's fair I mean basically I I, I have no real history with Star Trek in the slightest and I mean um, when when the initial kind of photos and whatnot were released I remember it was one of the, the one of the first things i wrote for the rattle actually was uh, when the first photos were released and you had spock looking like a pudding bowl headed retard <laughs> and it um it, 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 it i just thought what the fuck really and I, I i was i was very very critical of it i know it's just photos but it just seemed to be coming from such a weird kind of place that i i, I wasn't really too sure what to make of it yeah but, i got that from it as well the the initial release of publicity photos, I think, wasn't handled terribly well. I think they didn't have any special effects shots, and I think that when you didn't have the context for the film, both from a design point of view and an idea of what their intentions were with it, the photographs mm. just looked... They had an almost fan film kind of sheen about them. Yeah, I, I think that's a completely fair comment, actually. I mean, it, it just... It didn't bode well at all, and... Um, I don't know. Just the whole the whole thing is, as Paul mentioned about it trying not to be Star Trek as well. I mean, like I said, I've got no real affiliation with it, but it felt kind of weird hearing the director of this reboot that's way more into Star Wars than Star Trek as a kid, and it I don't know. It left kind of a bad taste in my mouth just from the, from the principle of the matter more than anything. Yeah, that he almost felt that he wanted to do his Star Wars, and he figured that Star Trek was an opportunity to do it. It's the generation we Star Trek film. It's the uh, we want this to appeal to as wide a, a demographic as possible. Star Trek film. But why shouldn't Star Trek appeal to as wide an audience as possible? Why uh, shouldn't it be this exclusive? I'm not. Club? So, I'm not saying it shouldn't. I'm just saying that it it takes a little bit of the innate Star Trekiness out of it. Yeah. Because they've put in a cast of the beautiful people on the whole, okay. and whether they're good or not in it, it doesn't change the fact that that it it, it, it it's it's exactly the same way I felt. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to enjoy the film, but I'm going to come out feeling the same way as when I came out of Phantom Menace for the first time. Oh, shit. <laughs> which, was, which, which, which was... Uh, it, it, it's like... It, it didn't feel like a Star Wars film. It didn't feel like part of that franchise. It was just there was something off about it, whether it was too much Lucas or... I don't know. And I mean, I can't tell you whether you will or will, or will not have that... I, I have no doubt that from what I've seen of this film, I'm going to enjoy it on a level of it being a kick-ass uh, 
action, space, adventure, science fiction film. I'm not sure whether I'm going to enjoy it as being a Star Trek movie. Well, it's like a lot of things. You've got to give it those two reviews. I mean, this came up when we were all talking about Watchmen. But, uh, I mean, we're, as we're getting into opinions here, Ian, what, what were you, your feelings in general, Star Wars fan well, or not? It's it's interesting. I, um, I actually saw this film... Uh, a, a little while back for the first time I suppose I saw it um, on Monday the 25th of eight, no 27th of April sorry so a little while back now and um, our cinema was lucky enough to uh, t- uh, to get a print because we had a, a word of mouth screening so uh, so we had a staff screening invited a, a load of people along and uh, um, when I was watching it I felt that I was having a really, really great time, and I, I was, I, I was very, very much enjoying it. But there, there, I, I don't know. There was just something that wasn't quite clicking. And then talking about it with people afterwards, uh, it, it, it came up. And this is something we'll definitely go go into more in a spoilery thing. I apologise to people who want to hear the non-spoilery bit, but kind of tough shit on this case. Um, but. It, 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 there were there were a lot of plot points which bugged me. Um, I'll, I'll say that much, and uh, it generally revolves around evidence, uh, which is something a lot of reviews have been saying. But um, that it was it was that it was the at the time I felt excessive use of lens flare, and uh, uh, and. I know this is getting really pedantic, but a score which just so happens to be by the guy who does the music for Lost, which really, really, really sounded like Lost on a couple of occasions. But then I saw it again. The thing is, over the next week or so, I started thinking, actually, do you know what? I really like this film. So I saw it again on Thursday when it came open to the public. And a lot of those problems evaporated, and it left me with the feeling that we'll be hard pressed to see a better blockbuster this summer. Um, Mike, what do you think? Um, I, I would agree with you completely. I mean, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see what these points are. You know, that you've got with it when you, we get into the this more spoiler section. I, I think I've got a rough idea of what they are. Mm. But um, I mean, generally th- speaking, I mean. I, I saw a thing on, um, you know, The Onion, the satirical American newspaper. Yeah, um, yeah. Have you seen the video f- uh, footage they've got of uh, I, the news I've article? heard. Of, I've heard of it. Um, and it's um, Star Trek fans uh, criticise new film for being fun and engaging. And uh, they're like, where was all the endless speeches about people debating uh, diplomacy? If I wanted to see young, good-looking, athletic people, I'd go to a fucking sports game. And, like, you know, just, and, and that was the kind of thing I got from it, because it moves very quickly. There's no, I mean, because when I went to see this, I had a couple of beers beforehand. About 20 minutes into the film, I was busting for a piss. <laughs> and I was thinking, right, as soon as it lets up, you know, the quiet moment after a big sort of crescendo moment where you'd all yeah, yeah. step out, to, you know, to go for a slash or a cigarette or something. And there just weren't these moments. And I had to literally just force myself to just rush along and come back. And, um, me urinating seems to come up on the podcast quite a lot lately. Have you noticed this? Oh no, it's your age. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can feel the next one coming on. <laughs> but um, but the thing that impressed me the most was that I felt that it served two different masters incredibly well. I cannot think about how it could have been done better. It not only re ignited Star Trek 
saved Star Trek uh, from the stagnation that it got in, uh, uh, got to. It provided a legitimately entertaining space action adventure summer popcorn movie in the way that Paul describes it. And but at the same time, I felt like I was watching Star Trek. Now, again, as I've mentioned earlier on, everybody's all Star Trek geeks' idea of what makes something inherently Star Trek is different. But for what my perception of it is, it had that it had the ideas. It wasn't as philosophical as a lot of the earlier films and TV series because the characters are younger, they are at a different point in their career, and the, the kinetic energy of the film needs to reflect that. Now, mm. I'm sure that in sequels they're going to pull the camera back a little bit and that they will get to explore these ideas, but I felt that it wasn't just... It wasn't Transformers. It wasn't just fast-cut, relentless action sequences. The fi- whilst the film doesn't really stop to breathe, whilst it's barrelling along, you're liking the characters. You're getting to know about the characters. You're getting to care about them. They form interesting um, relationships with each other. The interaction and the, and the chem- chemistry between the actors is great. Mm. I thought the humour was really nice. Yeah. Um, and it just... Um, it was. It reminded me of the type of film that I used to enjoy going to see when I was about twelve or thirteen, and I think that in this age of you know the Dark Knight and uh, the Watchmen and the fact that people are getting the opportunity to do these fantastically dark films, I think that because of the way the the appetite of the film goer is, I think there's a need for an antidote to that to somewhat, and I think that the bright optimistic spirit of, of Star Trek is a perfect thing for that. I mean, and also I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing like Mark Commode here a little bit who surprised the shit out of me by giving us a really favourable review yeah I know definitely one of the things he said was that the thing that people forget is that the spirit of the original 1960s Nimoy Shatner Star Trek was very different to all of the later Patrick Stewart Deep Space Nine years which was much more austere and philosophical and kind of stagey whereas the Shatner and Nimoy years was fun entertaining kitsch insane romps and this kind of had that element of Star Trek, which hasn't existed really since the, the 70s, that's disappeared in all of the much more, um, you know, modern... The prime directive years. Yeah, yeah, the, the, end, the endless <laughs> discussions about the, you know, the rights of the Andorians, Andorians and Zarlax 5 kind of episodes. Yeah. And I mean, oh, a, a God, lot... I actually understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going away to shoot myself <laughs> in and you carry on with the discussion. <laughs> But um, but yes, I I really 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 enjoyed this film after India, <sighs> after Indiana Jones and after all of these things that had been built up and were horribly you know that sinking feeling you get ten minutes into a film where you're like this is going to mm. suck. Ten minutes into this, at the end of the the sequence with the Kelvin, the, the ship that opens it, uh, and, it's and the shift, sequence. I just thought I'm in, I'm in now. Yeah, you've got me, and that was I just thought an incredible achievement for the first ten minutes of the film. It's just when that Star Trek logo comes up, you're just like, <laughs> "Fuck yeah, fucking yes, mate!" I, I yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I I I don't know. I mean, it yeah. I mean, this is the thing you, you say about the sinking feeling, and I mean, I think we're gonna get that a lot with blockbusters this summer. Um, uh, I mean, but. I, I, Don't I, 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 Terminator I, I, Salvation. I'm looking forward to that it. Sinking feeling, yeah. mate. I've got it already. I tell you, really. Yeah. Well, Terminator Salvation. I seriously, I can't wait for that film. I mean, if it if it's if it's bad, I'm gonna cry. Me too. But uh, yeah, totally, Matt. I mean, I mean, it's just like there are a lot of other big films out this year that I'm I'm a little wary of. I mean, I even I I really like the first Transformers film, but this 
new one just seems like it's going to be too overblown and it's just going to be a complete and utter mess. Oh, I don't but know, get I back... think the, um, just from a, a visual point of view, the couple of sort of teaser trailers for the Ford, the Transformers, the Fallen or whatever it's called, um, look incredible. Look like they've took the criticisms on board from the first film at least because the cameras pull back and you can you can see what's going on at least. You two are a couple of Transformers loving freaks, aren't you? I love Transformers. Excuse me. When you were messing around with your laptop before we started this Skype, what what came on in the middle of a fucking was it an episode of Transformers? Yeah, the animated series. Yeah. <laughs> None of these fucking. Oh come on! The first Transformers films a lot of fun. I think. I mean. I, what, are I, we I, talking about uh, the the one the with Orson Welles in, or the Malcolm no, Malcolm no, Malcolm. sorry, sorry, the the Shia LaBeouf extravaganza. I, I quite liked it as well. I, I seriously, Mike's just I, I, a Michael. Uh, he's a bit anti Michael Bay, and he just doesn't give things a chance. He's already down. No, on I quite him. like the island. No, yeah, you did, didn't you? All right, I'll give you that one. You see, what I do is when I really hate a director, I pick one of their films, pretend I like it, and then I can be righteously indignant about everything else. <laughs> see, I said I like that one. I must be being impartial. No, we did a podcast oh, on the island. I think we've probably got you on record saying you quite liked it. Yeah, I remember that episode as well, actually. And yeah, you did. Huzzah! Have you ever seen Michael Michael Bay used to have uh, I think he's changed it because everyone took the piss out of him. He had the most hilarious website ever about two or three years ago. It was his homepage. It was like michaelbay.com. And it was just a photograph of him in this kind of god glow in the middle of the screen with photographs of loads of famous people with quotes underneath of them all saying how fucking super excellent he is. <laughs> like, I was like, you may as well have just been him like just jacking off into the camera. It was Blowing incredible. himself. <laughs> yeah. um, Alright, so back to Star Trek. That was, oh, I like that tangent though. Um, fuck. Right, yes, back to Star Trek. Um, so... In a non-spoilery way. Let's just get the non-spoilery out of the way then. Uh, the cast. Chris Pe- uh, Chris Pine, I thought, was pretty damn fucking good, to be honest. I thought he got the the, the arrogantness down, I th- but I thought he was very charming. Um, I felt he dealt with the heroic moments well. And Did he I could... any Shatner-like delivery? Only in one scene. Was it good? It was he, he attempted, like like Hermode said, he did. He did pull off the leg crossing. Yeah, and he's got the arm on the uh, his elbow on his knee, kind of thinking pose. Yeah, as well. I, I noticed that. I noticed the, that. The, the the Shatner type delivery. You're talking about the Kobayashi Maru section. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Even I fucking noticed that. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of. Um... No, sorry. Was I'm it ha- as good I'm... as Ryan Reynolds Shatner though? <laughs> You see, Paul's still heartbroken that Ryan Reynolds didn't get to play Captain Kirk. He was his pick to play Kirk when the reboot was announced. He would have been good. He would have been brilliant, man. Instead, he did fucking Wolverine. Hey, don't knock Wolverine. Oh. Are you serious? <gasps> awesome film. Do I actually get to gang up with uh, on Paul with somebody for a change? <laughs> no, I'm not that oh, serious. Paul. I don't think it was... Uh, I, don't think it, I thought it was better than X-Men 3. Well, like oh, dude, wait until you hear my fucking review. Did you not think it was better than X Men Three? I thought it was fucking atrocious. Yeah, but it could be fucking atrocious and still better than X Men Three. In fact, yeah, yeah. Because uh, X Men Three. Honestly, uh, was... I, I thought that film made me angry and bored, which is quite something. The thing is, when you talk about um, Chris Pine as Kirk in this film, you get to the the, the argument. Wait, to get of, back to topic, Mike. When, I like. You get to the argument about um, how much of an impression of the people should they be doing 
and how much should they just be playing the characters it's written on paper and you, there's different degrees with different actors and performances and characters in this film doing that now um, you, could, just why have it as the crew of the Enterprise if you're not going to at least make a little bit of an effort well, to no, have no, them what, what, no what they've done is they have taken in most of the cases the essence of the character everything that's important about the character not necessarily their speech patterns or the way that they smile or even just their eye colour just their sort of their, their their personality. Their personality points. Yeah, and, yeah. and there are some characters where the actor or the actor and the director have made the choice to go more of an impression. And with some characters, it doesn't matter. Like On all of them, out of all of them, I, I, from what I've seen so far, and I apologise to everyone that's going to be listening to this for not having seen it so far. I shouldn't really be joining in with this conversation. But um, although I was initially resistant to him, Carl Urban... I think has Fantastic. got the the essence of Bones better than anybody else in that in that uh, film. The thing about Carl Urban in this film is there's a moment in the film, and it was one of the, the thing when I came out of it, I went to see it with a couple of mates, and we all had the first thing we all sort of babbled out was exactly the same point. Was in all, pretty much all of the cases of the characters. If you're a Star Trek fan, it takes you a minute. It is a bit disarming, but because the characters are younger than you've ever really seen them in the show, you let it go. And you're kind of like, right, okay, I have to accept that this is Captain Kirk. You now sell me on being Captain Kirk. And then the scene where Bones is introduced, he walks into like a shuttlecraft or something with Kirk. And you're like, hey, it's Bones! Yay! But with, and straight away, you, no, you, you see, you, I you, didn't, you don't I even didn't, have to. I've think seen about that, like, that. I was basing what I've just said basically on that scene, but I didn't get that. I, I got that as soon as he gave his description of what he thought space was, which was like death and disease wrapped up in misery and horror and yeah. I thought god that's just fucking exactly like DeForest Kelly. I think again from, from a hardcore Star Trek fan point of view the only thing that they had there was only one thing they had to get right everything else could be wrong and that you could still be salvageable and it had to be the chemistry between the three principal characters because that's the heart of Star Trek and um, I, I really really think it was there and all of the casting choices I mean it shows how little I know um, were when I first heard them was like what, and but then it, when I saw it I was like what an inspired choice that was. I mean like again Heath Ledger when I first heard that he was playing the Joker I was like Heath Ledger what the fuck. Then I watched the film and I was like hey, what do I know? Who else could yeah. it have been? Yeah, and it, I, I just think that the, the casting across the board was great. I mean it must have Apart been so difficult. Brad Dourif. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I I don't know. I just I I thought Carl Urban. I mean. I was unhappy at how he kind of got marginalised as the film went on. Yeah, I think it was necessary uh, though. Yeah, but it it was it was kind of weird that you know he's just from a non-track fan point of view that he he's kind of built up as being a really. But then again, this is this is a complaint I have about the film as a whole that the supporting characters really don't get much to do but if you view it as the first part of a franchise which you inevitably have the to other do thing you can't view yeah. that, that is quite a Star Trek thing if you're not the main three or four central characters in a Star Trek series or film you, you don't get a massive amount of screen time you're just brought in and out of the story as needed I think that that's quite prevalent in most of the Star Trek TV series as well I mean oh. If you weren't the uh, ma- uh, if you weren't the main bridge crew in the next generation, you you, you weren't on the screen. Yeah, but in this film, they're built up to be uh, characters that are, that are important. I mean, I think the other thing as well is is that there's a slight shift in the relationships. 
the way the relationships are presented in this film of a TV series because um, Kirk, Spock and McCoy in the, in the 60s show are very much a, a trinity of characters yeah. whereas in this film they're all important but only in the sense of how they relate to Kirk how they relate to his story and they relate to each other through the sort of um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for like the antenna of Kirk that, that mm. it's how their characters relate to him that makes them important to the story um, but again I mean I talked earlier on about how quickly it came through the storyline it moves but it manages to build character whilst doing it and I, I think a lot of that is down to the casting yeah I mean I mean I, I, I think everybody gets their moment in the sun you know and I mean I suppose that is enough for the first part of a franchise but I, I, it still didn't really quite feel like enough for me. I mean, I, 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 I don't really know how you could really improve on it because it's such a lar- large cast of characters. But um, and the I other don't thing know. is, it helps. It, it doesn't help from you approaching it without a huge knowledge base of of these characters. Do you know what I mean? I mean, these because we could just enjoy watching them being on the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's automatically a relationship there for, for for Star Trek fans. We automatically know a lifetime of stuff about Kurt, Spock, and Bones, and or and all the we? rest of them. Um, and even though, I mean, I'm a, I'm a when we I'm aware of the storyline of this film already. Um, Watch for spoilers. So um, I kind of know how they're <laughs> they're. Jiggering the Star Trek story a little bit, mm. um, I, I, but I mean, in in the end of the day, though, the important thing is that I think the cast pretty much are thoroughly solid. Did you um, did you like them as characters? Yeah, I mean, I I thought I I, I thought Sulu had you know enough to do with his sword fighting. I've got to ask, actually, um, is there? Is it a point of the original series that he he fences? Yes. yes. Okay. It's fair a, enough. It's a, and also, that was a good. That was a good it's joke. Probably then. a holodeck went mad episode. No, no, no. no it's, 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 for, it's for Naked Time episode two of season oh, one. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, you fucking uh, lameo motherfucker. <laughs> but still, of um, of George Takei doing that uh, in full sort of. Um, I think he said Nazi regalia. I don't know where the hell that came from. Rapier, R- rapier, sort of yeah, uh, regalia. Matador yeah. costume is one of the stills they use over the end credits of a series, so it's very immortalised. So yeah, that was one of many kind of hey guys, we know you're watching, okay. you sad motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, this is for Mike Parks from the JJ uh, yeah. Abrahams and the rest of the crew. Yeah. Enjoy your evening of solitary cranking. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, I, I thought I, I, I really thought he was a lot of fun. Actually, um, I thought Anton Yelchin as Chekhov. Um, his main bit is him not being able to pronounce uh, V's properly, uh, or it was it Victor Victor or, or whatever it was. Yeah, and the biggest gag was nuclear vessels. Yeah, Star yeah, I, I mean, he, he gets a little bit of a hero moment, but I think it's a bit underplayed considering like the action that came before. So, but again, I mean, like Anton Yelchin as well. I mean, because he's uh, Carl Reese in the new Terminator film as well. Yeah, he's so, got a good summer, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, too fucking right. Um, good you know, answer. I mean, I mean, uh, Simon Pegg, I thought was you know 
he he was solid. He was full on comic relief, and that was pretty much it. Um, but I I I I look forward to seeing if that little midget dude is with him in the next film. Yeah, what was um, that? Yeah, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a little bit of a kind of a where did that come from and is it going to figure in later films? Please, God, no. But, I mean, like, the fact... Yusa thinking Misa going to be in the next movie. (laughs) Misa thinking it'd be bad. (laughs) Well, he doesn't talk, though, does he? He just makes whimpering noises. He talks like that in my head now. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't even know what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, I thought... uh, Eric Banner, good villain, not, enough, not threatening enough, um, but that's all I'll say for this section. He doesn't look um, like a Romulan, I can tell you that as well, for, from what I know Romulans to look like. Save for oh. the spoiler zone. Sorry. Is that a spoiler? Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. A little bit. Oh, alright then. Uh, uh, um, Zoe Saldana didn't have a lot to do, and I think her character and... Uh, uh, what she does in the film's going to piss off a lot of Trek fans. Yes. Uh, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. That, yeah. That's, I mean, he didn't piss me off as a Trek fan, but I was like, what the fuck? But that was around the point in the film where you've had this sort of shift. Well, I've got fingers crossed for getting him out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a 12A, mate. Ooh, a huru. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I... Serious, I I think pretty much the first question I asked after the film was was Bubba uh, doing each other at the time yes. uh, of the original series, and you know it, it was interesting. Um, and I w- I would just like to say as well, green skinned woman, strangely hot. Yes, and also they she, always are, man. She was quite ample as well, which I like. She wasn't like a yeah. white fish skinny. In the 60s series, Kurt used to get off with a different coloured woman every week. It was I love, amazing. I love, I love, green, blue, purple, pink. I love the Eddie Murphy nice. line. He's like, I don't mean to be racist, but if the bitch is green, there's something wrong with a pussy. <laughs> oh, rough. Um, the filth on this Cinerama podcast. I oh, know, it's terrible. <laughs> Can't wait to get to that clean living. Yeah, exactly. I'll stick the explicit tag on, you know. It'll be all good. Um... Uh, I mean, finally, Zachary Quinto. Um, good, yeah, solid. Uh, you know, fine. Uh, he seemed like Spock, uh, and that was by it. But actually, I've got something else to say as well. I don't know why Winona Ryder was in. That's because just getting an older actress having really weird, strange, out left field fucking. Why the fuck is that actor in a Star Trek film? Yeah, fucking Christian Slater's in the motion picture. Oh, uh, sorry, in the undiscovered country, and he, he, he's like a in he's like an ensign that comes and wakes the captain of some random starship up. And he's like, hi, I'm part. Christian Slater, and he's he's mostly in shadow in the whole scene. And then he's revealed, it? like you meant to go. Oh, it's Christian Slater! How did they get <laughs> Christian Slater? <laughs> You'd think but, he had I, I mean, it, it, it's. But it's weird, because every scene that Winona Ryder's in, it's not many, in fairness, but she's got old age makeup on, and it was just like, why didn't you just get you an sure, older woman? Sure it's really it's weird. Makeup? I mean, she's had a hard time of it the last few years. Yeah, she's got a bit Margot Kidder, isn't she? <laughs> actually, a, a friend of mine actually said she looks strong out as fuck, and then I had to point out she had makeup on, so... Or she she, she might look a bit odd in yeah. a Blu-ray release. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be graceful. Uh um, but Mike, what do you think about the cast? Um, I thought the, the cast was largely great. I mean, as I say, people 
play for characters to differing levels of similarity to their uh, you know previous counterparts. But um, I thought Quinto was solid. I mean, he played Spock differently, but to Nimoy. Um, but there was a plot device reason for that, arguably. And I think that a lo- I mean a lot of I, I might this might be uh, I might be doing a Hollywood saloon style kind of Star Trek spin here, but I think that a lot of people's criticism of how people played the characters or their portrayals of the characters is down to the fact that for whatever reason a lot of the characters in this film are coming to things from a very different place than they they came to it i mean i'm I'm going to sort of tangent here a little bit if i may but the i mean we're talking about the scene at the the opening scenes of the film the the whole farragut sequence and to me that was when i felt like it was had the right balance of star of star trek and new post you know uh, the wire battlestar galactica 24 um born identity shaky cam fast editing you know that whole type that shift that's happened mm. and it had that but at the same time the guy who was playing um kirk's father was a gee whiz cheesy kind of action movie type guy yeah that's that's a fair uh, point and the the sort of the juxtaposition of those two things was all, felt almost like a mission statement for the rest of the film which is like okay you are going to get the bridge of the Enterprise isn't going to look like it was built in the 60s. It's going to look like it, w- it was built by, you know, um, Apple. And this is going to be different. This is going to be cosmetically different. But at the core of it, you're going to have guys heroically saving a fiery ship whilst their wife's giving birth, which is something that could probably only really happen in Star Trek. And I think that by going into it with that tone, when you did got to the point where you had to accept new actors playing the roles, you, you already understood the rules of how the... The franchise was being repositioned from a casting point of view. I mean, Simon Pegg, I thought was was great, was solid. Didn't get a lot to do. I liked him, so that's the the, the important thing. Uh, Anton Yelchin, I like the fact that he did actually come across as being quite young, and I thought his nervousness was nice. Yeah, it was yeah. Good to have a kind of increased the sense that these were people who didn't really know what they were doing. And then, and I mean, like earlier on, I was criticising later Star Trek for being too sort of it's all about ambassadors and it's all very grand and presidents of planets whereas this felt more like just a bunch of people in the shit who have you know by Star Trek standard regular Joes and I think that a lot of the casting of the younger people really reflected that I mean we'll save the casting oh sorry actually no I should jump in at this point the other thing for, that really you don't have to jump uh, in if you're stupid uh, talking yourself the, the, I, I, will, I, will, I will continue <laughs> jumping in um, the thing that t- to me gave it, this film its heart <laughs> from a casting point of view was Bruce Green- uh, Greenwood as Pike yeah because to have a kind of grown up presence in the middle of it I f- mm. gave the uh, film a lot of validity and let me off the hook for the whole it's just Star Trek 90210 thing yeah, I think that's fair. I um, I really, really enjoyed Bruce, uh, Bruce Greenwood's presence, actually. And I mean, it not to get too spoilery, but it, it felt like a good kind of apology for how Captain Pike was kind of treated as a character in the original series. I know that much, yes. you know. It, it's nice that they kind of acknowledged that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, thought he, I thought he was great, actually. Um, you know, you, you kind of... You kind of believed, thanks to his performance mainly, I suppose, how he thinks of Kirk and what he does to help Kirk through the course of the film. Well, he, he's, he's Kirk's human credential in a lot of ways. The fact that he's vouching for him says a lot about Kirk. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's that was one of my initial problems with the film, to be honest. But it, it's a little spoilery. But the, the the way Kirk gets to be able to be in the position to do things he does, I I, I felt was a little like kind of really, I I I, I suppose coming from Captain. But I mean, I think his performance kind of helped it, really. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. But he felt very much like—I um, mean, again, I don't want to—I I know how you feel about the Phantom Menace, Ian, but uh, mm. he felt a lot like uh, Liam Neeson's presence in the Phantom Menace. Whilst that's fair, he, uh, yeah. he gave the film a sort of a, a re- relatively grown-up, central, solid performance in the middle of the film. That, that bit of gravitas. It. Bit of gravitas. That's what I'm trying to say. Good, but just get on with it. <laughs> well, thanks for your help, Mr. Sexy. <laughs> Mr. Sexy, did you call me? That's very nice. Yes, I did. I did call you that, Mr. Sexy. <laughs> Mr. Goodbar. Very nice. JJ Abrams. Um, there's been a little bit of contention, as uh, like due to it, it, how much of a fan he was of Trek in the first place, as to whether he kind of had the directorial chops. And I'll be honest. I mean. I really liked Mission Impossible 3, but it did feel quite TV. Yeah, he was... It's kind of structured. He didn't feel like he was on the big canvas with that one. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I I, I think with this, I think he's got it down pat. I I mean, as I said earlier on, the lens flare was a problem. I mean, it really was, for me, first time around, less so second time. But, I mean kind of like look at this it's a film look at the lens flare you don't Apart get lens that, flare on television do you it, well, yeah quite um I, I mean apart from that I, I i thought he did i thought he did a really really solid job it was thoroughly epic um i thought the action scenes were were you know very well done obviously his second or third unit directors could probably be to uh, probably be the main thanks of that but i thought the pacing was fantastic throughout like you said it, it never really flags and um i i yeah i just thought he did a great oh that sounds gone funny uh, I mean, I think as far as the direction goes, um, this did obviously feel much more like a movie than Mission Impossible did. And it is interesting that he's done two um, essentially television to movie adaptations uh, as his main films. I mean, I think he got a lot of um, confidence whilst he didn't direct it through Cloverfield, through the experience of producing and promoting that film and being very much associated with its success as well as a name and as a brand. That I think he raised his game a little bit. Um, I mean... He also had the bump recently of in what must be an unprecedented move for Fox uh, pre-ordering a second season of Fringe before the first yeah. season's even finished. Jeez, he's people who knows people, isn't he? He fucking is, man. If he, if, if he was running Dollhouse, that shit wouldn't be... I mean, for Fox, like Fox, are the, Fox are the keep the axe hovering network, for Christ's sake. The, sort of the, the, the axe of Damocles is hanging yeah. over your head. If you're, if you're the top-rated show, I know, let's, let's, let's bump them to Monday night just before the big football game and see how they do there. One of my favourite ever talkbacks I've ever seen on Equal News, you know the whole first thing, like, I have to be first... Well, mm. um, when Dollhouse was na- announced, so like New Joss Whedon show, the first post on uh, the message board in capital letters with exclamation mark was cancelled <laughs> and this was like the day the show was announced it was like Joss Whedon Fox cancelled I reckon 
But um, they're, they're still not too sure what's happening with Dollhouse, are they? No, or is it no, nothing definitive's happened? But um, yeah. the prognosis is pretty poor, I think. But, sorry, yeah, go on, Mike. I'm oh, sorry, Paul. No, no, I'm just agreeing with Mike. I, I, I was so looking forward to Dollhouse. It's a great premise, but it's been just really poorly executed. And out of a uh, 12 episode first season, to only really have three decent episodes and the rest filler is pretty poor. No, Whedon's not really bringing his game with this one, is he? No. But hey, you get to see Liza Dushku dressed up as a hooker. Yeah, you do. I mean, every, That's true. every cloud, mate, every cloud. Ooh. Yeah. A, would have lens flare if it was directed by J.J. Abrams who we're discussing <laughs> <laughs> but no but the lens flare thing really didn't bother me at all I think it was because I'd heard about it beforehand so I was already just in acceptance of it um, I think his direction style was it, well, it's all down to how much of it was the script and how much of it was his direction style because uh, Orky and Kurtzman as writers I don't really like very much I don't like it, I think anything that they've ever written um no, I think Alias is the well, only thing you do, because you like before. this. Uh, well, well, this is my sort of feeling going in. But the thing that surprised me was not only the amount of geeky detail in there, so whilst maybe Abrams isn't a Star Trek fan, the guys who wrote the fucking film are. Well, so, I mean, that's got to yeah. be fairly important. A little bit of research could have given you that, though. You don't necessarily yeah. have to be a fan. No, no, but I think Abrams knew enough. I, I, I think that one of the problems... They could have just called you up for the, 20 minutes the, the, and the, find out what to put <laughs> in it, couldn't they, you big no, no, fruit? The, the problem is is that Star <laughs> Trek has been... Had, uh, up until... Um, when, when Enterprise got cancelled in, I think, 2000. 2004 that was the first time that there hadn't been any Star Trek on the air since 1987 and there'd been mm. films going since the, since the late 70s before that like pretty much every year or every other year so the problem was was that Star Trek had been made by the same people for 20 years and they'd run out of ideas they were getting old they were just you know they just lost their mojo for it and what this needed was somebody to come in with a, with a somewhat irreverent attitude which you can only have as an outsider and, and do that and I think that it's very um, similar to the situation when, in 1979, the motion picture came out, and it was successful, but Star Trek fans hated it. And it was it was made by people who had this massive reverence for Star Trek. The Wrath of Khan, that they hired a director, Nicholas Mayer, who'd never, ever seen Star Trek, didn't give a fuck about it. He didn't give a it. fuck, did he? And, yeah. and he watched a few episodes and was like, right, okay, a lot of Star Trek's actually shit. Let's do it this way. And the film starts with, like, it's the 23rd century. Everything's more realistic. They've got cooks on the ship. You know, living in space is cold and uncomfortable and sometimes scary, and and that was what he brought to it. And I think that that J.J. Abrams liking Star Wars more than Star Trek and not being a big Star Trek fan, which many people have decried, is an absolute fucking asset to this film. I think the last thing you want is somebody who's going to come in with this reverential attitude. And I think that that carried over into the visual style of the film, which did incorporate these modern, um, you know, green grass, um, uh, Battlestar Galactica esque. Um, you're in the scene, space is, is, is silent or at least uh, muted in sound and sometimes cameras lose, lose focus on CGI shots and then zoom in that whole quality about it but that was just window dressing to these fantastic character interactions kick-ass action sequences and um, all the stuff that makes made Star Trek in the 1960s really fun and th- you are invested enough in the characters to not want them to die so what more do you want from a summer movie? Totally, yeah, straight up. I I don't really know what more to add to that, really. Um, okay, so spoilery time. Um, 
if you look in the uh, kind of show information bit in iTunes or on your iPod or however, you'll see the time at which to skip forward if you don't want to know spoilers. But uh, from now, uh, spoiler, 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 spoiler. Okay, so... Are we doing the spoilers now? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> we're, we're moving on to the movie news for the week. Excellent. Um, <laughs> um, I think you had to quite well, <laughs> so, yeah. oh, are you going to be okay? I think he's getting this? used to like, Okay, so, I mean, alright, my, like, like I said uh, in, the, in the start of the review, my main uh, problem with the film is coincidence. And I, I think it's, considering the fact that the time travel aspect of the film is actually done, it is handled so well and allows this kind of reboot, reimagining, whatever, to you know uh, it, 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 it without that many problems like continuity wise it, 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 it explains it very economically as well yeah yeah straight up i mean it, it, it i mean it's just dialogue really isn't it and i mean just a few lines i mean you've got that great sequence where leonard nimoy is telling kirk what's been happening and it's it's kind of hallucinatory uh you know it, it's got a surreal wedge to it and i really enjoyed that uh, I, I mean, uh, considering all of that, to have such things as Kirk happens to run into the exact same cave where Leonard Nimoy is, and that just happens to be 14 miles away from where Scotty is. I oh, know, that's as ridiculous as Darth Vader being the original creator of C-3PO, isn't it? <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, right, I'm, I'm going to have to go really geeky here. But, okay, that is a coincidence, but not quite as massive a coincidence as you think if you look at it and you put the right spin on it. Okay, I'm going to do this. Are you ready? <laughs> Nero, you, oh, God, I really hope there aren't any women listening to this. <laughs> well, if there were, then fucking, you're probably in. But, they probably weigh 300 pounds for sale. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nero and... Um, the Leonard Nimoy Spock come from the point in Star Trek continuity where we would be if they were still making the regular Star Trek films, you know, post-Nemesis. Right. So th that's the time zone that they come from. And mm. in that time zone, uh, which is as far as we've got chronologically in the Star Trek universe at this point, um, Romulus uh, the pl uh, is going to be destroyed by an exploding star. And the only way to get rid of this is uh, Sp Ambassador Spock, the old Spock, goes in with this red matter Spock explosion. Um, classic Spock, shall we say. Um, <laughs> Original flavour Spock. Has this. <laughs> um, he has this red matter bomb, which the idea is that it's going to open up a black hole and it will eat the sun. The whole thing goes tits, basically. Romulus is destroyed. Nero, the Romulan character from the future, played by Eric Banner, vows revenge, comes back and starts wreaking havoc. Now... So it's like the plot of First Contact. So when he actually gets back, everything that is changed or contaminated from that point on, you're in a different reality line. Oh. Now, he comes back uh, on the day that Kirk's born. And part of his plan is a revenge plot against the old Spock. He wants to destroy Vulcan and force Spock to watch it. So, so in order to force Spock to watch it, he drops him down on this planet, well, this moon near Vulcan. 
and that's where Kirk's going to try and save the day. So, okay, that brings them together to at least that part of space. Right, I'd like not to be super geeky here, but... No, I, mean, I think it's too the, late to the, worry about the, that, mate. The Star Trek universe in lots of other episodes, in lots of other series, has established a, uh, a multi-reality universe. Yes. Well, when Nero goes back in time and changes things, does he not then create... A new, a new branch of reality, and that's what so, the Beast franchise so why is does, be following. So why does Spock need to travel back in time at all? Because it won't affect. No, he doesn't. His it's an accident. They both go into this thing at the same time. That's the. Yeah. He's tight, man. The time travel on this film are tight. Right. It'd make you proud. It's like Back to the Future too. Excellent. So okay, so you've got Kirk and Spock relatively nearby, and the. Zachary Quinto spot ejects him onto this planet knowing that there's a, f- a Federation camp based thing nearby yeah. so he can find his way back and Spock knows about this ca- encampment and has been keeping an eye on it because he wants to know what's going on like he wants to know what's, what's coming over the wireless so to speak so from a plot point of view and a character motivation point of view it makes sense that they are in at least a 15 mile radius of each other at that point in the storyline now whether you're willing to take that leap of faith or accept the, you know, the fridge being nuked, it's, it is one of those, um, is up to you as an individual viewer, but I didn't really question it at all. And I, it, oh, it, uh, it, when I read your review on the rattle where you mentioned coincidences, when it got to that part in the film, I thought, oh, I bet this is the bit, or one of the bits that he's talking about. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It, I mean, the main thing, really, was Kirk being saved by Spock in that exact cave and I just I mean like a a guy I saw it with said that you know it kind of made sense because Spock was gonna be like banished to that planet because it was the nearest planet from the Romulan ship if Kirk was banished it would be to the nearest planet from the Romulan ship you know but I mean it it, it just (laughs) sorry but the fact that that happened is still yeah but I mean yeah, and the fact that on the whole planet, he he was in he he was near that one cave. It's one. It's 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 a uh, it's a film conceit, though, isn't it? That um, would you rather take on board a, a coincidence, or would you rather the film have been ten minutes longer and ha- had five minutes of each of them journeying it's, it's from where they were to the, to the meeting point? It's like Spider-Man yeah. Three was a, was a film that was criticised a lot for its use of coincidence, and I'd say that this wasn't this Star Trek isn't, isn't even comparable to that. There's a couple of bits we have to accept it, but I think that the fact that this film does have an undercurrent of cheese about it in a good way. That I think has been lacking from a lot of blockbusters recently. That lets it off the hook for a lot of these leaps of faith because it's not the Dark Knight. You're not meant to really be doing that. And I think that you could, you could, you could either be a lover or a hater on yeah. that point, and you've just got to pick your side. No, fair enough. I mean, it, it just it, it bothered me enough to the point that you know I had to write about it. And um, yeah, I, but I mean. Apart from that, I I I felt that you know the, the the plot was very strong. The like I said, the time travel aspects were really really well done. But also, I, felt. I mean, talk about having your cake and eat it. What Abrams managed to do was reboot the franchise, so anything that happens from here on out is unpredictable. All the bets are off, and you know also that certain things are going to happen that are out of their control. Like in two or three years' time, Khan's going to turn up in the, in his ship. But because he's coming from the past, that's inevitable. That is going to happen. 
Yeah. And certain other things in the Star Trek universe, like Vija or, or the Borg or any of these things, are going to come along. But the characters that we know in Star Trek will be approaching them for the first time. So to be able to reboot a franchise and have that all bets are off, but at the same time, whilst still servicing um, pre-established continuity, and still, is an, is and an, is still an, being is an incredible to, feat. Still being able to maintain your original universe and your because original Because Leonard Nimoy's in there to say, well. this is legitimate, guys. Because yeah. Leonard Nimoy is an ambassador from old Star Trek appearing in this film saying, it's okay, it's real Star well, they, Trek, they I'm ha- here, look. I oh, say, so they had to... Uh, that's the only reason I could think of, really, why they why they would have done is... Yeah, but the, what, the reason he's in the film is really well written and intrinsic to the plot. So I think you're right. I think the motivations for doing it were just that, but the way that they did it was really good. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is... I thought it was quite interesting, though. You know, Shatner was complaining about how he hadn't been offered a role in the film and whatnot. I don't see how he could have been put into the film at all. Well, no, because apparently the the reason he thought it was going to be was that um, after um, Star Trek V came out in 1989, and it was a real disaster, it was a real flop, it was the least successful Star Trek film, uh, Harve Bennett, the then producer um, of the films, wrote a script called Star Trek um, The Academy Years, and it was basically uh, the characters first meeting and their younger selves. And it was going to be played by different actors. And um, <clears throat> but then the I think the twenty fifth anniversary of Star Trek happened, so Paramount were like, no, no, we need to get the original crew back together and do like a one last kind of Yahoo uh, type scenario. Yeah. And uh, and they managed to get all of the cast back together again. And but the idea of the Starfleet Academy film was that he was going to have Leonard Nimoy and Shatner in it at the beginning and the end reminiscing, it was going to be bookending the film so when Shatner heard about this reboot he assumed that they were doing the Star Starfleet the Academy years and that he would be in their sort of bookmarks but the, what, the, the, the way that they chose to go with the storyline for this, there was no narrative reason to have Shatner in there, it would have been like having Paul Michael Glazer and David Soul at the end of the yeah, that kind of they what you're did. doing it. And that's what I'm saying. They just turned up and were like, Hi oh, yeah, we're cameoing. We can't think of anything to do that's funny, but here we are, look at us. And that's what Shatner would have been like in his film. It'd have been like a just a big fat turd lying in the middle of the room. Nice. Love you, Bill. <laughs> the shat <laughs> I mean yeah, I uh, so I I I, I yeah. sorry, I'm blah, 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 blah. um yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think <laughs> I, I, I thought it, uh, Nimoy fit perfectly, really. And I mean, the other big spoilery thing I suppose to discuss is um, Ahura's relationship with Spock in the film. Yes. Um, how do you think it it fitted? In as a whole, because I felt that well, in the, 60s the show, point they it was like to make... go on a huru. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, it, I think it, it, it informed Spock's plot, a character arc, very, very well. The whole kind of having emotion and deciding whether that's a good thing or not. I, 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 I actually thought that was a really good answer. Well, the thing is, you've got all of the flashback sequences at the beginning uh, of the young Kirk and the young Spock. And I thought they were, they were very well handled from a, um, a, a Trek geek point of view as well. Mm. So when you actually get Spock in the film, you once you get the destruction of Vulcan, which is the, f- the first 
massively different piece of continuity in this timeline to the Australian Oh, there was a couple Trek. of guys who were pissed. No, but uh, sorry, because I, I, I spoke to a few people, and they're like, but it's bullshit, man. Vulcan didn't get destroyed. And I'm like, did you not get the film? Mm. But a lot of people are reacting to it like that, and it is because you want to sit them down and just explain it to them. Because, I mean, let me make one thing very clear. If there's one thing that I can say categorically is that I know Star Trek continuity... And this film did not break any Star Trek continuity whatsoever. All of the things that happened that were different, and I'll, I'll speak to this specific point of um, Kirk and Uhura, is that you don't know, you, you're not given enough information about Uhura as a character, because she is fairly marginalised in the original series. Yeah. So yeah, it could have conceivably been happening. As far as whether it would have been in character for Spock to do this, maybe not, but maybe the Spock of the original series hadn't seen his planet destroyed and hadn't had all of these things happen to him, which didn't happen to him. Maybe it was set during his Pomfar. We don't know. Oh, yeah? I bet you don't know what a Pomfar is, do you, Bristol? Uh, a rare... Hushakusi? No, no, it's like a... It's basically like a Vulcan's time of the month, but it only happens every... Three or four years, or something it happens like that. every seven years. Oh, seven and they've years. just got to like. Get <laughs> what really? And they just get really <laughs> horny and find it hard to keep their emotions bottled up. Okay, basically. Nice. Whilst I'm trying to place this in Star Trek continuity, I'm just going to like throw out to listeners who might be in sort of like the, um, the same boat as you, Ian, as far as like maybe enjoying this film, but not enough to want to revisit the original Star Trek. There's a perfect way of watching this film in the context with three or four other episodes of the original series. What you need to do is watch the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek, then watch um, A Mock Time, which is the first episode of season two of the original series, which deals with a lot of similar themes and character stuff that that happens in the film. It's really connected to it. Um, Then watch The Wrath of Khan, and then watch The Undiscovered Country, and you'll have a nice little sort of story arc running throughout, because they're the things in earlier Star Trek that have got the most sort of thematically and story-wise in common with the Abrams movie. So if you liked the, then the film... Then prepare yourself for a sexless, womanless yeah, 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 life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girlfriend repellent. <laughs> yeah, the anti-links. <laughs> but, but the thing is, whenever I see a film that's like based on a comic book or something like that, I always think, oh, OK, I'm going to read the comic book, but there's like 20 years of continuity, where do I start? And they're the Star Trek you need to watch if you like this film, because they've got the most in common with it. Okay, cool. Um, I I will try and seek those out. No, you won't. But you're very kind. <laughs> no, I will. Uh, I actually will. I've got the uh, the first uh, the original series on Blu-ray um, in my love film rental list. Oh, you should watch uh, watch for Cage, the original pilot, where um, Captain Pike's still the captain of the Enterprise. It's fucking awesome. Hmm. Was not uh, another episode? Was it the Menagerie or? Am I making that up? Yeah, yeah, that's the one where you find out what happened to Pike, which I thought was a nice continuity touch at the end of the film where he ends up in the wheelchair but not quite as fucked. Yeah, yeah, no, so, I mean, I, yeah, I really like that element as well, that, you know, he can be a presence in the future if if they deem it so, you know. I, I just it, thought that was really nice. And it was almost like a, a sense of predestiny to a lot of elements of the film as well, the fact that yeah. th- things happened when Kirk and Spock were young or being born that could have meant that they weren't going to meet. Like, for example, in the original Star Trek continuity, Kirk joined Starfleet because his dad uh, worked for Starfleet and he was his role model. And he, he, was, he was on the straight and narrow and became, you know, a captain. Whereas in this, George Kirk dies at the beginning of the film. 
So mm. Kirk becomes a, a rebellious, sort of womanising, like bar brawling drunkard. Whereas in the natural <coughs> Star Trek continuity, he'd have been like a cadet or an ensign at this point. And he ends up in the same place, in the same relationship with the same people, because it is almost predetermined. But you've also got Leonard Nimoy, uh, Leonard Nimoy Spock manipulating events to make sure that Kirk and Spock um, meet and forge their relationship. And that's why you've got all of that. They're saying that whatever the reality. They will end. Up they need to be that those those two need to be friends the, for the, the good the, of the, the universe. Needs them to be friends, or right. we're all that, fucked. That was an interesting point, actually, because um, my boss uh, watched the film in the week, and he was really like, he was like, I, I I enjoyed it, and that's quite a thing for him because he's a manager of projection, but he doesn't like films, Ouch. Uh, which is weird. But um, he he really enjoyed it generally. But the one thing was like, they weren't even supposed to be friends, you know, because. Spock, you two have got to be friends because otherwise you're fucked. So it, it, it was like, all right, it was kind of pushing Kirk along the direction. No, but, no, but, 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 but that was because Spock forcing knew. his hand. But that was because Spock knew that they were friends, that they were inherently going to be, you know, the the yin and the yang. But, it, I, suppo- but I suppose he just needs to manoeuvre them into a situation that brings that out of both of them. Yeah. All right. You're right. You're not going to win any arguments tonight, are you? Not with him. <laughs> All right, the other point he actually had, which is a good point as well, Scotty um, supposed to invent the uh, warp, uh, being able to tra- uh, teleport, transport onto uh, a, a, a spaceship when it's in uh, warp. Yeah. Fucking Spock tells him how to do it. He gives him the equation, so therefore Scotty didn't invent it. But Scotty did in the original... But the, again, that's... Didn't invent it in this it, one. It, it doesn't make um, that much sense within the story, but it's another callback to a gag in Star Trek Four, where he, you know, is the, you know, how do I know I didn't invent the bloody thing in the first place? Yeah. So it's a kind of, that whole thing was a contrived scene to reference something humorously. Have you seen humorously The Voyage Home? Uh, have I seen it? Yeah. Oh god, yeah, I, I can't even uh, begin to imagine when I saw it, but yes, I have. So, no, Do you the, remember the the scene where uh, Scotty designs the plexiglass for the whale tank? No, because it's 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 quite a well, it's quite a famous scene just just because he invents it and he's he he's called up on the point of messing with the timeline by his bones yeah he's like well oh really and he, he, <laughs> he can't he, give me his technology he makes the point he makes the point that they don't know whether that guy didn't invent it in the first place so have you really altered anything and i think that's possibly the same the also, same sort of feeling behind the whole transporter thing it, it informs a lot about the old spock's character as well because spock was always on this journey um of, of human discovery that all star trek shows have a character that does that you've got like data, o- data or odo in deep space nine seven yeah. of nine you know yeah. on it goes and that's you know very, very very central to the conceit but i think it's just i mean a lot of people have criticized the way that zachary quinto plays spock the fact that he doesn't seem quite as in check with his emotions and that's a much bigger plot point or well story point than I was expecting it to be the whole um, Spock rejecting um, 
Colin R and pure logic and all that and yet I mean they always play in the original series Spock although they had those episodes where you they explored his because he's half human yeah. then they explored that on the whole it wasn't played like that he, he played it like a Vulcan um, he was always cool and he, yeah he was always there in command and I think that knowing that he's half human maybe they've got the balance a little bit better in this version maybe he should show a little bit more a slight hint of emotion yeah. more often than he did originally well, it, it, making the struggle evident is but, but like you said I mean I, I keep I keep saying it's very un Star Trek like I also keep forgetting that it's a reboot and not a remake it's not no it's neither though that's my point about the the, the cleverness of the time travel conceit is that I mean, uh, we are getting into semantics here. I mean, on the one hand, it is a reboot in the way that it's restarting the continuity. But and they are slightly tweaking character elements by the sounds of but it. I, but I, I think it was a genius move, though, to clarify that it wasn't pissing on previous continuity. It was just a turn that was being made because Star Trek as a franchise really needed it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I think that conversation pretty much summed it up, really. So, uh, good work, guys. <laughs> Pleasure. Um, all right. So, I mean, have we got anything more to say? Apart from the fact that I absolutely loved... I, I knew I was going to like the film where uh, when Beastie Boys' sabotage <laughs> <Yeah>. kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> that was... Uh, that really was quite something, I must say. And uh, again, yeah. again with the mission statement there, I think. And totally, and yeah. Pretty, uh, the fact that it was one of the main scenes from both trailers, and they just rescored it with sabotage, was a real fucking surprise as it, well. It, it was because I was I, expecting that sort of a uh, kind of slightly dramatic Star Trek score in the background yeah. that was in the trailer, and to hear that Beastie Boys track was amazing. I, I, I saw it at a two thirty showing. Um, on the, the the Friday afternoon, mm. and when that kicked in, you saw the entire audience just go huh, and then ah, and it was it was how <laughs> audaciously they cut it to it as well. The fact that when the copper gets off his bike and he puts his foot down, it's on the doof, 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 doof. yeah <laughs> yeah. Man. Have you ever tried syncing up um, the um, sabotage with the third chapter on the Star Wars DVD? Oh my god, no. I've got unfucking canny mate. Fuck Pink Floyd and uh, I was going to say Oz. I've got Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon on DVD. If you <laughs> if you if you get um, Star Wars Episode Four, the seventy-seven Star Wars film, and pause it at the bit where you know the door explodes when Vader walks onto the ship, yeah. and then start sabotage by the Beastie Boys on your CD player, and then after the first, pause it, and then unsync both of them, and it is fucking hilarious because I've heard about this from a few people. And you've got Vader walking in and just being a fucking pimp whilst like, the tune's playing. And you know the quiet mid-late bit yeah. in the song? That's the scene where like 3PO and R2 are getting into like the ship to escape. <laughs> and then as soon as it goes back into... The and then as soon as, as soon as it goes back into the... Wah! Bit of a song, it goes back to Vader. It fits to the fucking second. <laughs> tell you, try it. <laughs> is Remember, that the original? It's, that, it's, it's the after original, the second. The original. It won't work if you don't do that bit. Is that the original unfucked with seventy-seven version? No, but those scenes are the same in both. It doesn't matter. Right. Just, oh, that's brilliant! Do it. Try it, man. I swear to fucking god. I'm calling this fucking episode "How to 
get Beastie Boys sabotage to sync with Star Wars. <laughs> uh, but, so before we finish, can I play you that bit from the Onion News uh, about the Star Trek fans hating? The yeah, sure, man. Sure. It's full of attractive people. I'll just hook you up. Uh, you and Paul talk about Transformers or some piece of crap while I'm figuring out how to do this here. Well, I, I don't know about you, Ian, but I quite like the work of Michael Bay. I think he's a very you know underrated what? director. Oh, you... Yeah, I think he's one of the, the most underrated directors working today. I thought Pearl Harbor was oh, a, a oh. meditative exploration <laughs> of love, no, honour, and, and loss. And it also featured... Ben Affleck. Explosions and Ben Affleck. I, you know, I think it's one of the best films of, of the 90s. I have to Sarcasm is the lowest form of humour, you know. Gritty drama, frozen yeah, together absolutely. with wonderful CG effects. Cooper Gooding Jr. always looks like he's about to make a moving speech. He, you know, like Nathan Fillion does nostril acting. Cooper Gooding Jr. does jaw acting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he can emote through his jaw, can't he? What would be yeah. your appendage of expression if you were an actor I'd be a cock actor <laughs> <laughs> no it'd be my you'd, eyebrows you'd cornhole the market on that one wouldn't you it'd be my eyebrows get a bit of a spot going on when I'm feeling quizzical you've got a bit of a spot going on oh okay I think I found it <laughs> it's going to have to be unplugging here unplugging yes you heard me what were you unplugging oh here we go so, Tricky's bash new Star Trek film as fun and watchable. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've heard was that headline. It's brilliant. Right. Okay. Um. Da, 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 da. Okay. We're gonna plug the headphones here. Yes. Can you still hear us? Oh yes. Okay. I'm gonna play this. Tell us if if it, the sound quality is horrible. Ah. Uh. Star Trek fans are decrying the latest film in the long-running series as a fun and watchable action-packed thrill ride. Yes, it was exciting. But where was the heavy-handed message about tolerance? Where was the <laughs> sort of acting? I mean, it just didn't seem like a Star Trek movie to me. I'm just really, really disappointed that this storyline made sense. If I wanted to see young, attractive people uh, doing cool, exciting things, I, I, you know, go watch sports. And with us now to discuss the backlash is entertainment reporter Bree Lindsay. Hi, Glenn. Bree, is this Star Trek as riveting as the fans are complaining it is? Oh, Glenn, early reviews are calling it a delightful action-adventure movie and a surefire hit. No wonder the fans feel betrayed here. Apparently, there isn't even one scene set at a long table in which interstellar diplomacy is debated in endless detail. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the Klingons' dialogue was subtitled because it allows the Klingons to be understood by people who haven't studied the right. imaginary language yes, for years. Yes, but most fans were more upset by the look of the movie. Mm. Hard chases, state-of-the-art CGI, really? and alien battle scenes that don't just look like two out-of-shape guys in bad makeup fighting awkwardly. That's a real slap in the face for Trek fans. Right, yes, but I think the bigger issue is that fans felt like Star Trek belonged to them, and now the studio has turned it into something people will actually like. Oh, what about the casting of up-and-coming young actor Chris Pine as James T. Kirk instead of the aging, bloated William Shatner? Well, of course, that announcement was a huge disappointment for fans and Shatner alike. A lot of the fans have been saying that this movie sullies the vision of someone called Gene Roddenberry. Right, yes. 
Yes, Gene Roddenberry was the hack who created the Star Trek television show way back in the 40s or something. So is Paramount doing all this negative press? Yes, they are. They've announced the DVD release will feature a special cut just for the Trek fans with three hours of extra footage in which characters stand around debating the merits of saving the Andorian ambassador from the surface of Silax Court until you just wish everyone was dead. Well, that should be some consolation. Thanks, Bray. Thanks, Gunn. Earlier today, Paramount released this statement to ease fans' concerns. We stand behind this film and firmly believe that in a few years it will seem just as dated and cornball as previous Star Trek films. Shit. Moving on now, an elderly black woman is still following President Obama around and shedding <laughs> a single tear whenever he does anything. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. How about now? When Sorry, Paul, what were you saying? about Chris Pine and Shatner then, underneath Shatner's picture it had... 1966 to 1994, really. <laughs> Bit hard. Did it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so uh, I suppose this review has been going on for long enough now. Hour uh, 21. Oh, yeah, bloody hell. Um, okay. Right. I think we've just done our show. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, so, final thoughts. <laughs> Paul, uh, my what did you thoughts, think of Star Trek? I will, I think I I will, will watch this film. <laughs> I, I will be going to see this film at some point in the very near future, I and think I, th- it, I think I will thoroughly enjoy I it. I think you're going to like it a lot more than you're expecting. I um, think it will make you want to watch Star Trek again. The only thing I've been sort of apprehensive about all the way along is its un-Star Trekness. Um, but from what I'm hearing from Mike and from what I've read online from reviews and stuff, there seems to be uh, plenty of sort of continuity porn in there for for Star Trek fans. So I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. Good stuff, uh, Mike. It's it's difficult to compare it against other Star Trek films, so I'm just going to review it in the sense of a summer blockbuster. And it was kick-ass. It, it didn't have all of the dull pontificating of the Star Wars prequels. And it didn't have the sort of pretentious um, six-form pseudo-sociology you know, sociology view of the Matrix films. It was just um, people on spaceships shouting and crying and getting emotional about things and um, shit blowing up. And you could actually see what was happening and going on. And you cared whether the people who were in the middle of all this shit blowing up were going to die or not. And uh, that's fucking harder to do than you think, and it did it. Cool. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I think from a, a, a non-fan point of view, it is one of the most kind of surprising uh, uh, blockbusters of recent memory. It's taken a franchise that many kind of thought were dead, uh, was dead, and has given it a real lease of life. It's it's fun, which pretty much every review I've read has had the word fun in. It's uh, it, it's fast-paced. It, it, I mean, it's exhilarating, it's thrilling, it's funny. It's everything you want a summer blockbuster to be. And it doesn't, apart from the, the slight continuity problems, it doesn't insult your intelligence, which is a lot more than I can say for Wolverine. So, uh, I, I, I'm... Yeah, I I think we'd be hard pressed to find a better overall better blockbuster this summer. I I really enjoyed it. I fucking love Star Trek. <laughs> I fucking love Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And there's your ending. 
<laughs> um, so I, I would to say again thank you to Mike and Paul uh, guys do you want to say how you can find your podcast uh, yes, you can find us at Chinstroker versus Punter. That's V S P U N T E R. I always thought that better. Um, dot blogspot dot com, and you can email us, which nobody has been doing. Tell me um, about it. Yeah, but we've been a bit all over the place on our. Uh... Yeah, we, we got we lost our iTunes feed for a while. We we hit our bandwidth at Podomatic for the same time, so we were just like fucking off the airwaves for a few weeks there. So um, and we haven't actually sat down and reviewed a film for about two months. Barton Fink. Um, okay, well, thank you very, very much, guys, for joining me. Um, that that was a lot of fun. Thank Cheers, you mate. very much for having us, man. Okay, uh, so it's news time, and I've got a couple of things that piqued my interest this uh, week. I would just like to say, not really news, but uh, new Halloween 2 posters released. You can have a look at it at SlashFilm.com, and uh, Michael Myers looks like a pirate. That's all I've got to say. Um, Okay, so first of all, um, a film I'm very, very much looking forward to, uh, Moon, directed by David Bowie's son, Duncan Jones, uh, who I follow on Twitter, and uh, he's very interesting, actually. Um, He's at ManMadeMoon, that's all one word. Um, He he posts some good stuff on there. yeah, so Moon, uh, the character in it, uh, played by Sam Rockwell, uh, he, he plays Sam Bell, um, he's apparently going to have a quick cameo as the same character in Jones's next film, which, uh, and I quote, is supposed to uh, take cues from Blade Runner and will be set in a future Berlin, uh, taking that bit from Chud.com. Um, so it's not going to be a sequel, but it's going to be set in the same kind of world, and uh, that's really cool. Um, it, 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 it's nice to see um, a kind of a new kind of sci-fi universe being created, really. And um, I'm I'm so very looking forward to seeing Moon. Um, I really hope uh, it comes out in the UK uh, over the next few months because I'm I'm really desperate to see it and. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's building up his own uh, Duncan jones verse is uh, really quite something, I think. So, uh, yeah, good on him. Uh, and finally, um, I've been very quick this week. There's been, like, lots of posters and stuff released. There's this great um, uh, Brad Pitt is a Bastard, Inglorious Bastards poster uh, been released, which uh, I love. And uh, there's also Saw Director brings us a topical Mother's Day remake. Uh, great. But um, this one caught my eye. Um, Christopher Nolan's new film, Inception, already uh, starring uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Ellen Page, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Caine, Ken Watanabe, um, uh, is also now going to star Tom Hardy, who uh, was really quite brilliant in Bronson. Um, I really, really like this this guy's work. Um, He was... uh, uh, the the the, uh, the secretly gay guy in Rock and Roller as well, and uh, I believe he was the bad guy in Star Trek Nemesis, which is uh, something. But yeah, this this dude's a really terrific actor, and um, it, I, I mean Christopher Nolan. It, I mean he's he's very much respected in the film industry, and you can tell because this is a cast and a half. Um, Inception is one of the big films I'm looking out for. Um, next year i believe it comes out in the summer of 2010 and uh with a cast like that i i don't see how any true film fans cannot be looking forward to it because uh 
hopefully this film's going to fucking rule. Um, yeah, great. So that is it for movie news this week, and I'm sure there will be more in a couple of weeks' time. Whatever the reason is you're doing this, focus on that. Maybe it will help. Trust me, I've been through worse. to the next review x-men origins wolverine directed by gavin hood this stars hugh jackman liev schreiber danny houston ryan reynolds will i am and uh, all sorts of other people uh, x-men origins wolverine kind of does what it says on on the tin i suppose it is the first in what is supposed to be a series of uh origins of x-men films uh this one about wolverine played by hugh jackman um who at an early age discovers that he has bone claws that can come out of his hands uh he goes on the run with his uh newly discovered brother um Sabretooth, played by leo schreiber uh and on nearly getting well i say nearly getting killed by a firing squad uh they're shot up a lot uh in vietnam uh danny houston's uh general striker uh, finds them and offers them a chance to be a part of a special unit but when uh, things start going rather dark uh, Wolverine decides to pack it all in and uh, have a normal life but of course as we all know in these kinds of films no one can ever really have a normal life um, okay so X-Men Origins Wolverine obviously came out last weekend um, it took me quite a few attempts to actually go and see it but I, um, I finally did um it's the first big film uh big 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 film directed by gavin hood whose uh south african set film zotzi won uh the best foreign language film i believe at the oscars a few years ago so uh there was much hype about his uh directorial career um his last film rendition was a bit of a damp squib but to be honest most films dealing with uh, war in the Middle East in even some context uh, don't tend to do so well. So, you know, that would probably explain that. Um, Wolverine's had a rather troubled production period. Um, everyone's favourite studio, Fox, is behind it, of course. And uh, there were rumours of much discontent on set with uh, one particular story about a Fox executive changing the colour of one one of the pieces of the set because he wasn't happy with it while Gavin Hood was away. Um, yeah. 
then obviously uh, the film has had the massive uh, work print leak, uh, which some thought was really going to affect the film's box office, but then it hit with like the high 80 millions in the US last weekend, even though they're expected to have a significant drop off this weekend. Um, so obviously the work print leak hasn't affected the film that much. But, you know, how is it? There's a lot of potential there with the character of Wolverine. Um, and, you know, there, there, there's a lot of scope for some very, very cool stuff. But unfortunately, I must say, you, I don't think you get any of it here. Um, I absolutely loathed this film. And um, I, if, if there's a worst, block, a worst blockbuster this uh, season... Uh, I would be surprised. Um, I think we've got the, the, the real bottom of the barrel out of the way first. Um, the only thing that saves the film from complete zero star ignomy, in, 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 uh, whatever that word is, um, is, is the, the lead trio of actors. Um, Hugh Jackman, Liev Schreiber and Danny Houston look like they've come from a different film. While Hugh Jackman gets some embarrassing moments at time i'm thinking particularly um everyone's favorite no um you know he he i mean he is wolverine you know i mean the dude's made for the role and um that he obviously loves the character i mean it's the, the character that gave him his career for a start but he also does love being the character and um you know he was producer on this film as well so he's obviously tried but um you know, he's obviously not tried that hard enough, to be honest. Um, Liev Schreiber is too good an actor to, uh, to to be in this film, to be honest. Um, he, I mean, he's very, very convincing as Sabretooth. You can tell that he is just absolutely psychotic. And um, he's got great, a great menace about him. Um, unfortunately, uh, this is a complaint that a lot of people have said, but I'm going to say it as well. When he goes on all fours um, to charge at people, it does get embarrassing pretty quickly. But, you know, I think that's more the fault of the wirework team or the CG team or whatever. Um, and uh, Danny Houston as well. I, You know, I actually really liked what he was doing in the early part of the film. His kind of really quite subtle manipulation of everyone around him really was well played. And um, I'll, I'll be honest... Generally, the first, well, actually, I was about to say the first 10 minutes of the film were actually pretty good, but then the opening sequence in, like, the 1800s is ridiculous. Um, you know, the kid gets his bone claws and then just decides, oh, what am I going to do with these? Oh, I'm going to go stab someone. You know, he's just discovered them for the first time, and he just, he's like, oh, shit, I can kill people. It's, it's, it's an absolute joke. Um, and then you've got this fantastic fantastic opening sequence and do you know what sorry this also saves the film from complete zero stars i mean this gets like a one star from me and it is for those three performances and this opening sequence which is really really terrific as you see wolverine and Sabretooth going through the wars of the ages and i mean oh god the possibilities if they just stayed with those periods for a bit could have been absolutely brilliant um it's rather reminiscent of the Watchmen opening credits, um, in a way, um, and it, I mean it's fantastic and it's really well shot as well. And um, then the sequence after when Strikers off offering them this chance, that's really shot very well as well. And, it, and I mean it and 
up until this point, the film actually looks like it cost a lot of money. And then from literally then on, it looks almost made for TV in its in its scope. And I don't quite know where Gavin Hood's gone wrong here. But, you know, the, the, the sets are just incredibly bland. The locations are really bland. You know, there's nothing memorable about what's on screen in the slightest. I mean, not in the slightest. And even... Wolverine getting his adamantium um, injected into him, which apparently has been causing a lot of kids to um, uh, have like fucking shit fits um, in our in 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 our cinema. The uh, the the 12A ratings apparently been a point of controversy, but I don't really see why. But um, even that's not handled very well. It's all just fucking flashbacks to stuff we were only told about 20 minutes ago, and this ridiculous fucking thing that his um, his girlfriend or wife or whatever tells him, which gets which makes him get the name Wolverine. It, I mean, I mean, they repeat this thing about three or four times throughout the film, and it's an absolute joke, and surely that can't be in the comics. Um, those of you who have seen the film, which is probably most of you will know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's just nothing memorable about the film at all. And, and then, I mean, it's called X-Men Origins Wolverine, but then it's just shoehorning in all these other fucking um, mutants as well to try and see where they fit and I mean uh, right Ryan Reynolds dead as Deadpool Ryan Reynolds himself is literally in maybe two scenes and then he's gone he's on screen for probably about five minutes and then at the end when he's turned into Deadpool I don't think that's Ryan Reynolds at all. It it just looks like... It, I mean, it could have been a stuntman. Ryan Reynolds wasn't needed on set, and I can't imagine it was him. And now we're supposed to be getting a spin-off Deadpool film. Um, I mean, why? Uh, you know, it... it Okay, he, he essentially plays it as Ryan Reynolds plays a lot of his characters, like, kind of very quick-witted, uh, um, you know, quite a funny guy. And, I mean, like, I did quite enjoy him, but the fact but the fact that he's only on screen for five minutes when he's being built up as one of the main characters just was an absolute piss-take. Um, Will I Am is awful. Um, he's on screen for, more, for longer than fucking Ryan Reynolds, for Christ's sake. Um, let, let's see... Uh, Silver Fox, played by Lynn Collins. Um, her character arc is absolutely ridiculous and opened up a massive plot hole for me. And I, it, I'm, it, uh, uh, just no, um, no. Basically, I, I don't want to say anything, but uh, you know why? And uh, no and why are the two words that are associated with her character for me. Um, you know, who else have we got? The Blob, uh, played by Kevin Durand, I believe. Um, fine, whatever. Um, he's big, and he has a boxing match with Wolverine for no reason whatsoever, when uh, they could just talk, but never mind. Um, I, 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 Cyclops uh, is in it, which was bizarre, because the film's supposed to be set in the late 70s, but he appears to only be about... 10 years younger than he was in the first X-Men, so I don't quite know what was going on with that. Um, Gambit's cool, uh, Taylor Kitsch uh, puts in a, a decent performance, but again, he's literally on screen for maybe 10 minutes, and I suppose now there's going to be a spin-off film about him. Uh, you know, fine, he has a fight with Wolverine, um, he, he chats with him a bit, and then he buggers off. Um, great, you know, it just... It's very, very bitty. The, the middle third is, is incredibly episodic. It's like B 
beat someone up, get some information, next scene. Beat someone up, get some information, next scene. Beat someone up, get some information, next scene. Uh, uh, and then you're just led to this climax with Deadpool and um, a, a, a ridiculous chain of circumstances that see Wolverine teaming up with someone you don't think he's going to team up with. Uh, wh- I mean, why would he? It's an absolute joke. And... Um, it it really just did my head in um uh, you know and then the uh, i mean the ending of the film is, i mean is an insult to the audience um i'm sure if you've seen it you'll know what i'm talking about but i cannot believe they actually try try to get away with what they get away with in this film it i mean it's an absolute joke and i uh, i mean it really really pissed me off um so yeah there you go wolverine um absolutely uninspired direction um looks like it cost 10 percent of its uh 75 million dollar budget i mean probably less than that um pisses away all the promise uh that the uh, hugh jackman as wolverine has built up um the sequel supposed to be set in japan that could be interesting but let's just see how it goes um an absolutely insulting screenplay um and i absolutely loathed it um it is among the worst films of the year i've seen so far for me um i i can switch my brain off uh as much as the next guy i like to think so anyway maybe maybe i don't you guys listen to me ramble on so you could probably tell me better than me myself but it i it's just when a film is so idiotic and so blatantly sticking middle its middle finger um up at the audience that i just get angry and i you know i, I kind of lost for words to be honest it's the worst film i've seen in a good long while and um i i, I don't see how anyone could seriously like it let me tell you right off okay I'm not a likable guy. Checkmate, you little putzer. Hey! I was considered for a Nobel Prize in physics. I didn't get it. Mom, that man's talking to himself. Come on, Justin. This is not the feel-good movie of the year. So if you're one of those idiots who needs to feel good, go get yourself a foot massage. What's the matter, Boris? I'm, I'm dying. Should I call uh, an ambulance? No, no, not now. I, I mean, eventually. I'm a man with a huge worldview. I'm surrounded by microbes. Sir? Hey, what? My God, you scared me. Can you help me get something to eat? <coughs> God, stop that. How old are you? I'm 21. Yeah, you're 21 like I played for the Yankees. You're a professional athlete with that limb? Oh, Christ. Boris! Our marriage hasn't been a garden of roses. Botanically speaking, you're more of a Venus flytrap. Mother? Melody, St. Anne. You're living like a sharecropper. I said, Lord, just say something. Break your silence. I can't take any more misery. Nothing, right? And all that money you put in the tin box every Sunday. Okay, so it's time for this week's trailer talk, and I've got a couple for you this week. So uh, that was a clip from the trailer for Woody Allen's new film, Whatever Works, which uh, stars Larry David of Curb Your Enthusiasm fame. Um, So the bit at the beginning was a bit odd. Um, I'm wondering whether that's actually part of the film or whether it was just like kind of for the benefit of the trailer but maybe it is going to be kind of breaking a bit of the the fourth wall at the start or something but um, generally it looks like kind of Larry David being Larry David which is fine by me I find him very funny 
Um, uh, the humour seemed a, a, a tad broad, but again, I suppose Woody Allen does do that a lot of the time. The uh, the joke about him playing for the Yankees continues on at the end of the trailer, and it, that feels like it could be a bit of a running gag, uh, which uh, might great. But um, interesting story, uh, kind of Larry David just kind of letting this girl into his house, and then eventually her old her whole family. Uh, could be like you know touching heartwarming all that kind of stuff uh looks to be uh, a, a rather light confection of a film uh you know kind of harks back to his early funny ones as i suppose they uh, they they call them and uh yeah i'm looking forward to it i always look forward to uh woody allen films i watched uh, scoop not long ago and i actually did quite enjoy that um uh, and yeah, I mean, Vicky Christina Barcelona, I had some problems with, but I, I thought it was pretty good. You know, it was, you know, it's better than well. Now I suppose it was pretty average actually for me, but you know, hey. But um, yeah, I look forward to this one. Trailer looks pretty funny, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, On to the second and last trailer for the week. I give to you the tachyon amplifier, an invention so groundbreaking. There's no telling what we may discover with it—a distant past. A far future, an entirely new dimension. All right, so, any questions? Oh, great. Uh, Is it true if you cough and sneeze and burp all at the same time while holding your eyes open, you'll explode? Why are your legs so scared? My dad's car costs more than your whole life. Do you even own a home? How come you were crying in the bathroom before this presentation? Get out. Everybody out. Go play in the parking lot. Al Gore says this theory of yours, time warps. It's nonsense. Al Gore is just a glory hound running his mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobel Prize. You finished the time machine. All right, Holly. We'll start with taking some seismic readings inside the mouth of the cave. Something's happening. It's beautiful. It's like cosmic lost and found, a virtual land of the lost. Holly, Chaka, Chaka, no, Holly, Chaka, Will. No immediate danger. No immediate danger. Will you stop that, please? You are freaking me out. Okay, uh, so that was a clip from the new trailer for Land of the Lost, uh, big budget effects extravaganza starring uh, Will Ferrell, Anna Friel, and uh, Danny McBride. Um, liked it a lot better than the first trailer, I must say. Um, it just looks like it's going to be a lot of lightweight fun, to be honest. Um, yeah, just a big effects-heavy, kind of icky at times, exciting kind of thing that looks like it may be skewing a bit young. I say that, but then some of the humour in there seems a little bit more bawdy. Um, a, clip, a, a bit where uh, Holly's introducing herself to Chaka. You wouldn't know that from the, the hearing the trailer, but Chaka's like, trying to feel her up, and she's like, no. And then Danny McBride's character feels her up as he's introducing him, himself. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's little things like that. And then you've got, like, the kind of what looks like improv from kids towards the start. And I swear, 
that was the kid from Role Models, Bobby J. Thompson, uh, there as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just looks like a lot of fun, really, even though it's another Will Ferrell playing a kind of arrogant for no reason kind of guy by the looks of it. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard um, some stuff that uh, Universal's a little worried about the tone of the film generally, and it does look like it could be a tad inconsistent, but... I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I like most Will Ferrell films, and you know, I, I I just think a nice big budget kind of Will Ferrell film could be, uh, you know, a lot of fun. So I, I'm 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 yeah, I'm I'm anticipating it. I must say. So uh, that's it for trailer talk this week, and I'm sure there will be more uh, in a couple of weeks. Okay, listener feedback time, and this one's going to be quick because I've only got one uh, from Jim Moon. Hello there, Jim. Thank you very much. Who says? Hi, Ian. A few thoughts on what Kevin Smith refers to as Snicked the Movie. Uh, when I first heard about this project, uh, my initial reaction was, I really hope this isn't a rush job spin-off like Electra." So when it took a good while to make it into the theatres, I allowed my expectations to rise. Uh, however, having seen it, I think my uh, reaction was pretty close to the mark. Actually, I should just say he's talking about Wolverine. Sorry, guys. Uh, not that it was awful, but just very ho-hum. Did what it said on the tin and little more. I can't help but uh, the feeling that if they'd got it out before The Dark Knight, Iron Man and Watchmen raised the bar for superhero flicks, I may have enjoyed it more. Though that said, it did seem the movie was lacking the depth of the previous X-Men movies. Looking forward to the Chinorama Trek extravaganza. Cheers, Jim. Well, I hope you enjoyed the Trek review, uh, Jim. Uh, I very much enjoyed recording it. Um, and okay well you heard my review earlier on so uh, fair enough Jim uh, in in the end of the day I think I think ho-hum is pretty much what everybody's really thinking about the film but it just it angered me and bored me <laughs> so sorry about that so I've got swine flu uh, no I'm joking um, yeah so it, it, it just I, it, I, I just could not get onto it at all, to be honest with you. I mean, it just, uh, everything about that film I just thought was terrible. But I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I do respect your opinion greatly, Jim. So, you know, I mean, maybe I was in a bad mood or something. It probably was, considering I had to go to work afterwards. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, that's actually going to do it for listener feedback this week. Less than two minutes. But uh, I'd, I'd really, really appreciate more feedback. I've said it before and I'll say it again, I don't charge for this podcast, even though I do put a little bit of money into it. I'm not complaining in the slightest. Um, I believe David Munn once actually asked if um, I could set up a PayPal because, uh, you know, if people want to, if you want to, if people want to give, then they can give. But I, I just, I do it for the fun of it. I don't do it for any money at all. And, you know, it's a hobby, so I don't mind putting money into it. But I do really, really appreciate feedback, guys. So, uh yeah, over the next couple of weeks, if I could get some more feedback and have a bumper section uh, next time, that that would be uh, that would be wicked. So, Cinerama uh, Podcast at yahoo.co.uk. How'd you hurt your arm? Me too. I'll tell you a story. Close your eyes. There were five of them. The Indian. The ex-slave. An explosive expert. Charles Darwin. And the masked bandit. They had one common enemy. Governor Odious. Is Odious bad man? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
But first, I need a favor. You always tap at the same part when it's very beautiful. Okay, so it's time for what else I watched this week, and that was a clip from the trailer for The Fool, uh, directed by Tarsem and starring Lee Pace and Katrina Unkaru. Um, right, the The Fool is uh, the, the the first film from Tarsem since the uh, odd and kind of awful J Lo horror thriller thing, The Cell, and. Um, this film's had quite a production period. Uh, it was filmed apparently over the space of about four or five years, using pretty much all of Tarsem's own money. Uh, Tarsem's an ads director, so um, he's kind of location scouted all around the world in his time, and boy does it show. Um, I heard a lot about this film before seeing it, and mainly that it's worth seeing for the visuals alone. But I've got to say, I mean, the visuals are a big, important part of the package, but everything else is pretty spot on as well. And uh, I kind of think this is an instant classic. Um, it, it, it's kind of a, 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 another kind of Pan's Labyrinth, I suppose. It's kind—it's about storytelling and fantasy and whatnot. But it's got—it's got a dark edge, as like Pan's Labyrinth did as well. Uh, basically, it's about this uh, injured suicidal stuntman played by Lee Pace, who tells stories to this girl. Uh, fantastic, so natural performance by Katrina Unkaru. Um, um, she uh, and basically he tells her this, these stories, but kind of he changes it up depending on if she's kind of doing what he wants her to do, uh, which is kind of slowly, basically trying to persuade her to get him morphine so that he can die. Um, uh, so yeah, he tells the, these like imaginative stories that go dark or go light, and um, these stories take place in these fucking incredible landscapes, which uh, are, are, are absolutely breathtaking pretty much every time. And you've just—I mean, it's beautiful and surreal. This fantastic shot with this elephant like swimming, which uh, just has to be seen to be believed. Really, I mean, it's. It's really quite something, but as well as this kind of fantasy story, you've got a very real story of a man going through a very serious period of heartbreak, and um, kind of how this starts getting fixed by this relationship with this girl. Um, I mean, Lee, Lee Pace is pretty good. He's 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 very charming. You can see why this girl would latch on to him. But I mean, Katrina Unkaru is absolutely superb. She she feels like she's not even reading from a script. Like she actually believes this, and it's like she kind of she she kind of fluffs her lines and like she keeps on saying sorry I don't understand in a kind of a broken English, and it just feels like she she's actually saying to Lee Pace like how do you mean this and that, and I mean it's she I mean she's very very charming like like Lee Pace actually but um in a, in a different way, um. And yeah, I mean, I look, I, I, I rented the Blu-ray of this, and it just, it, it's, it will test out your system. It, the, the, the wide shots in particular just look like, uh, like a photo that you want to frame and put up on your wall. Uh, it looks very, very nice, and it's, it's just a wonderful little film which I, I very much enjoyed. And uh, I mean, it, it looked like a real labour of love, and that shows in every single second of it. I, I really cannot um, recommend uh, the full hi uh, highly enough. To be honest, it's just it's great. Um, you know, Wolverine aside, I've actually had a really, really good week of film watching, and um, 
very happy with it. So, um, I also watched Sin City, which came out on Blu-ray uh, this week, and I bought it, and um, I haven't actually seen it for a few years, and I watched the theatrical cut, and uh, yeah, that film's a lot of fun. But I must say, given what the spirit was like, there are moments where you can kind of see a Robert Rodriguez sheen uh, when you take it in the context of the spirit. I'm thinking in particular in uh, Clive Owen's story, the moment where the guy gets shot through the chest and he's still kind of talking. Uh, That and also the the two henchmen who... uh, 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 kind of have ideas above their station and talk in very grand kind of like in pseudo intellectual ways um but i mean the the film is still achingly cool you know i mean it, it i mean it looks absolutely fantastic particularly on the blu-ray you know mickey rourke's face marv's face you there's so much detail in the image it's it's absolutely absurd and i mean it, he looks more fucked up than you know ever before i never really got why he's supposed to be so ugly and whatnot until i actually saw this because he looks absolutely hideous you see all the crevices and whatnot i mean it really is quite something um and yeah i mean i i just i just think sin city is a great film uh you know will we ever get a sequel who knows um but you know for now i think this is a very it's a great self-contained film and uh you know, it, there's not a lot of substance to it, but it is, it's incredibly stylish, pretty damn funny at times, and uh, it's got a nice meaty bit of violence like dusted through there every now and then, which uh, I, I really very much enjoy. So, uh, yeah, Sin City. Um, and then, going a little less adult, I suppose, uh, the final two other films I watched this week, uh, The Spiderwick Chronicles. Um, Donna and I went to see that, uh, that at the cinema uh about a year ago or so and um it's a bit of a favorite of ours to be honest um funnily enough we were supposed to be seeing the other film i'm going to talk about in a, in a second at the cinema that day but um we were too late for it so we saw the spiderwick chronicles instead and uh yeah I, I really really enjoyed this film again blu-ray i don't really watch anything on dvd anymore but um i'm a i'm a bit of a fascist i mean i know i talk about blu-ray enough on here but it, it is great and uh yeah again really really nice image um Spiderwick Chronicles, yeah. Um, it's kind of weird that um people said that Seth Rogen. I think I might have said this as well that um Seth Rogen's character in Monsters vs. Aliens was the first time that he's ever really um fit uh, a CG character. But I actually think he um he fits Hog Squeal in the film pretty well. And um, yeah, I mean it, it's he's just a pig who likes to eat birds and whatnot, you know. And I mean it's just fun. Um. You know, it's a nice imaginative story. Uh, Donna assures me a lot of it is it, very much cribbing off never-ending story, her favourite film of all time. Um, fact fans. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I like how self-contained it is and how, you know, they weren't really expecting any sequels. I don't think it did well enough to warrant sequels, box office-wise either, but it's a nice self-contained story which is just like an hour and a half and then you're done and that's all there is to it. And, uh, yeah, I really, really like the Spiderwick Chronicles. And, uh, finally, Son of Rambo, uh, which, um, I saw a few months back. We had it as a seniors film at work, and I tested the print. And, uh, I got the Blu-ray for £5.74 in what used to be Zavi. Uh, Zavi was a chain that I nearly worked for, uh, uh, back, uh, last year. Uh, thankfully not, because they went into administration and they got taken uh, taken over, and there's this other company called Head Entertainment selling off their goods. 
and um, I'll keep this short. Their, their, their Blu-rays now uh, are all £9.74 for pretty much every single Blu-ray, but some of them have gone down to £5.74. Um, I noticed uh, mainly Optimum uh, releasing releases, so I picked up Son of Rambo and John Carpenter's The Fog for just over a tenner on Blu-ray, so very, very happy. And uh, the Blu-ray of Son of Rambo is pretty great, actually. It's a very, very, very nice image, uh, a lot of detail, uh, pretty gorgeous cinematography, which really comes out well in the Blu-ray, and it's a very, very charming story. Um, it's just, it's very imaginative, it's a touching tale of these two boys' friendship, and uh, it. I think maybe it gets a little self-indulgent at times, I'm thinking particularly the sequences revolving around uh, the French kid whose name uh, escapes me, but... Um, I can kind of understand that he's supposed to be a little bit of a prat himself, so I can kind of understand the filmmaking at that uh, in that bit. But um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy Son of Rambo. I mean, it's it's very lightweight. It's not going to change your life at all, but it's a very entertaining hour and a half while it's on. So um, yeah, that's it for what else I watched this week. And um, I don't think I'm going to be watching too much over the next week or so, considering I'm I'm going to be in Spain. But, um, you know, the week after that, I'll try and catch up, really. So uh, I'm sure I'll have more on the next show. Okay, after a few weeks' break, the Unseen Hitchcock Marathon is back. And this time I'm taking a look at his 1948 film, Rope, which stars James Stewart, John Dahl, Farley Granger, Sir Cedric Hardwick, Constance Collier and Douglas Dick. Uh, Okay, Rope is the story of uh, a murder. Uh, A a guy called David is murdered by uh, classmates Brandon, played by John Dahl, and Philip, played by Farley Granger. They hide his body in a chest, and to try and challenge the perfect crime that they have just uh, committed, they host a party where the body is still in the house and everybody just goes along their business. But Philip gets more and more paranoid as the party goes on, which is not helped by the arrival of their old schoolmaster, Rupert Cadell, played by James Stewart, uh, who actually inspired the crime in the first place. Okay, so I only really knew of Rope because I heard of its uh, kind of real-time nature uh basically the film plays out over 80 actual minutes pretty much from the murder to uh right at the start of the film to the conclusion of the film and uh i mean that's really quite remarkable um it's not exactly uh all done in one take there are kind of obvious moments where um the, the 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 scenes are cut um and there's actually one shot as well about halfway through the film which is just a, a straight cut to another shot which uh, I thought was quite interesting because I didn't really notice that at all throughout the rest of the film so um, I, d- I do have to wonder why Hitchcock did that if anyone can explain please feel free to tell me because I'd be very interested um, so yeah we've just got one of the things I really loved about this film and I really really loved this film um, was the roving camera i mean it's just it's so weird in a film that kind of looks like this you know from that period of time for the camera to be so roving but i mean it goes it darts about all over the place and i mean it really is quite something and um 
I mean, one particular shot I absolutely loved uh, late on in the film kind of details how someone felt a murder could have happened and it kind of follows the the the, the exact areas and whatnot. And I mean, it's just, it's really quite remarkable. And I mean, it, it just allows for some great tension as well. I mean, uh, one great Hitchcock scene, which I've never heard about, is uh, James Stewart kind of interrogating Philip and Philip wondering just where he's going with it. And uh, Philip's playing the piano at the time, and he and like the metronome he uses kind of gets faster and faster. So and it, it just ramps up the tension as he has to play faster and faster while tr- trying to not lose his cool. I mean, it really is quite something. Um, what I was quite surprised about um, is that considering James Stewart is the head actor of the film, it really is what uh, these days would be one of those kind of and such and such roles um because he's not in the film for a good 20 25 minutes at the start instead it actually focuses on the two murderers um the the i mean it, it kind of it's the relationship between brandon and philip and them and brandon kind of constantly having to calm philip down and keep him sweet because he's definitely the one who could lose it all for for the both of them and uh i mean it, there's there's some sick and twisted stuff in it as well humor wise uh there are a lot of references to uh de- death and hanging and whatnot and uh just the fact that they they hide the body in this chest and then they and then they actually kind of have a buffet served from the top of this chest you know uh i mean i, I think james stewart says something later on in the film about something from the grave or whatnot and i just thought that was quite funny um it's i, I mean it, it it's i i funnily enough i just wrote um, on twitter that uh I, f- I felt this film was really good and uh joe from cinema slave actually just replied saying rope is the best kept secret of hitch uh hitchcock fans definitely in my top three or four hitch films and i would actually have to agree um it's a cracking story and what i love about it as well is that it feels quite um before it's time in that this murder is not really committed for any reason other than a, a need to test oneself uh, I, I mean it's all about basically james stewart's character kind of theorizes that or at least brandon interprets this these theories that certain higher hu- being humans can commit murder because they they make it like an art form and that brandon believes he's doing that with this and he actually talks early on about how he wanted to get rupert james stewart's character in on it because he felt that intellectually it would be right up his alley i mean what film i mean from the from 1948 other film could you like that decade or a couple of decades after can you imagine a, a, a real sociopathic motive for a murder i mean it's really really advanced stuff and i mean it's all the more chilling for it which is very much helped by john dahl's fantastic performance uh as brandon which is practically the lead role um i'm just having a look at uh what else he did and he he really hasn't done that much more it looks like he, he just did a lot of tv it really was pretty much all TV, though he was in Spartacus, I notice. 
Um, and he died in 1971, and apparently he's actually best remembered as Brandon. And I'm not surprised. Actually, hang on a second. Oh, no, he, he was nominated for an Oscar in 1946 for The Corn is Green, apparently. But um, I'm amazed this guy wasn't bigger, because it's a sublime performance. He is absolutely chilling. He never, ever, ever has any regret until maybe the end of the film. And even that just comes f from an intellectual standpoint. It's still nothing to do with the actual murder. Brandon does not give a shit that he's killed David. Uh, is that his name? Yeah, David. Uh, sorry. Um, and it, I, I mean, Philip. The the reasoning behind why Philip did it is a little shakier, and it's the one aspect of the film I was a little unsure of. I kind of think Brandon would have been too intelligent to kind of, as he seems to be, to really think that Philip would actually not crack under the pressure here, because he does pretty early on, um, at least start to crack. But yeah, I mean, John Dahl's performance is really amazing. Farley Granger as Philip kind of humanises it more, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, he's good, but he is a little too kind of panicky all the time for my taste. Uh, James Stewart is, you know, he's James Stewart really. Um, it, it, but he's he's not. It's not one of his everyday man roles. Uh, he's obviously an intellectual, and just the fact that he's the only one who ever seems to make Brandon nervous and it's right from the start and I, I, I assume it's some sort of respect for him but it I mean it really is quite something to see Brandon after the opening 20 minutes or so to see him actually kind of stutter and look obviously nervous around this guy and it's not because of the murder it's just because he respects him so much um the rest of the cast are a little bit here here nor there to be honest there's a there's an odd subplot about uh brandon trying to get his friend back with david's fiance uh, uh which felt a little bit like padding it out um you know i mean it's, it's the middle third of the film uh mainly focuses on this party which is quite a good idea because it really really keeps the tension up because you know this body's there and you know it's slowly all coming undone and you know james stewart's character is starting to put the pieces together and i mean it's 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 very very impressive but like i say the rest of the cast are a bit here nor there but it really is about the central trio and they are fantastic um so yeah i don't know what else to really say about it it looks absolutely gorgeous the camera work is sublime uh the the, the lead trio are fantastic and it's an absolutely riveting story with a brilliant conclusion uh i'm finding that hitchcock films they really have got some of the best endings of cinema i i think really uh it, it i mean it's a great conclusion the last couple of minutes or so are just very very tense because you do not know what's going to happen and uh yeah i mean i just i really really thoroughly enjoyed uh rope and i very much recommend it it's it's a very much underrated gem by the looks of it. I do notice it's in the top 10, 250 of IMDb, but not a lot of people talk about it. I really, really liked it. And this is the one that when the Hitchcock films, you know, finally come around onto Blu-ray, this is one along with like Vertigo and Rear Window and Psycho that I will be definitely getting. Okay, so uh, that is it for the Unseen Hitchcock Marathon this week. Uh, hopefully it's going to return when Cinemarama returns in a couple of weeks. And we're jumping way forward in time as we start to reach the end of the marathon. Um, most of the films uh, between 
uh rope and this one uh i've i've either seen or you know i've heard so much about and uh i've been trying to kind of go for ones i don't really know a lot about with this uh with this season so uh yeah we are skipping about 20 years actually and uh next time the film i will be having a look at will be marnie Okay, that will do it for Cinerama for the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, so, yep, I'm going on holiday to uh, go out to my mum's again, uh, along with Donna, to Spain for uh, five days tomorrow. So um, I'm not going to be able to really see anything this week to actually put up a show next week. So uh, I will be back the week after Defo. Uh, and what I... Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, what I'm planning on reviewing. Um, Night of the Museum 2, I quite like the original, so we'll see how that goes. Um, what else? Um, Angels and Demons. Uh, didn't really like the Da Vinci Code, but uh, we'll see how this one goes. It is one of the big blockbusters, so, you know. And uh, Brit Horror, with uh, young, spoiled kids get killed by fat, asthmatic, zombie ghost boy uh there's a premise in uh tormented um i'm really really planning on checking that one out uh okay so feedback is very very much welcome uh i very much appreciate uh your thoughts on everything today uh cinerama podcast at yahoo.co.uk you can follow me on twitter at twitter.com forward slash ian loring i will be tweeting throughout the week i am sure um the forecast is mainly rainy apparently so uh i'll probably be on my mum's laptop quite a bit but uh hey um you can read me at the rattle at the rattle.co.uk, but to be honest, I don't think I'm going to be putting anything up this week. Um, what else? Uh, votes on podcast Ali, always, always muchly appreciated, as are reviews on iTunes. So uh, I hope you all have a fantastic couple of weeks. I'm sure I'll chat to uh, quite a few of you on Twitter throughout the next couple of weeks and whatnot, or f- via the email. So uh, I hope so. Uh, I, I fucking love Twitter. I don't know about you, but I, I love it. Uh, So, yeah, anyway, uh, I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks on the podcast anyway. All right, cheers. Bye-bye.